When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating creation versus evolution and we are starting right now with Dr. Thompson's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, Dr. Thompson. The floor is all yours. Great. Thank you, James. So let me share my screen here. I am really happy to be here. I'm actually a big fan of modern day debates and, and it's a lot of fun. So let me just get started a little bit about me to introduce myself. So I'm Chris Thompson. I'm an assistant professor of neuroscience at Virginia Tech. You might be wondering why someone like this is uh, presenting on evolution. Well, my background is that I have a bachelor's of science at the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana in ecology, ethology, and evolution, where I focus mostly on ethology, which is animal behavior, hence my interest in neuroscience, as well as the evolution side of things. So I got some background, but I am not a trained evolutionary biologist. I'm a neuroscientist. Um, that said, uh, evolution figures very prominently into neuroscience, and we'll touch on that hopefully uh, several times in this debate. So I study, just a, briefly about what I study, I study how hormones shape the development and plasticity of neural circuits. I do this in a wide range of species. I work with birds, mammals, and currently I work with frogs. So shown here, what we're looking at is the metamorphosis of tadpoles into frogs, which is dependent upon thyroid hormone. It turns out thyroid hormone shapes the neurodevelopment of all vertebrates, and that's because all vertebrates share a common ancestor. So we can use the tadpole as an excellent model for understanding how thyroid hormone works in the brain because of that fact. So the views that I express tonight are my own. They do not reflect the views of Virginia Tech. Now, this issue actually about creation and evolution, this isn't an issue about science, actually. We will be talking about scientific topics, but it's not about science. This is an issue that is theological. So this is a theological debate between one worldview that requires a literal interpretation of the Bible and a worldview that does not. The majority of people all over the world do not start with the first principle that every single word in the Bible must be 100% factual and true. And in fact, there are many religious people that see the Bible as allegory and metaphorical. Most accept that, the, that evolution is an accurate working model of the history of life on earth and that we are continuing to develop it. So what are the big differences between evolution and creationism as I see it? Well, evolution, what we, the big idea is that we have common descent with modification. Animals uh, are, and other organisms are related to each other, descended from a common ancestor, and that there's been modification that's occurred. 
we have a mechanism to explain that change through time. Now, a simple explanation is that natural selection on heritable traits is that mechanism. It's something that Darwin developed. That was his big idea 150 years ago, but we've expanded upon that idea. And we now know that it's actually a lot more complex and uh, a lot more powerful in the ways that he didn't even under, understood or appreciate in his time. The other thing about evolution that's critical is that the earth is 4.6 billion years old. This is an important point in this philosophical debate. Um, we believe in an old earth. We also have an understanding that biogeography, where animals are located uh, across the world, and overall geology, the organization of fossils, um, this is explained by natural mechanisms. So on the creationist side, they believe that there are kinds, whatever they want to define that as. It tends to vary depending upon the, whatever argument they need to make at that time. They believe that they are specially created, whatever that means, de novo all at once. Now, as far as a mechanism goes, I don't, I don't see a testable, reasonable mechanism that they have to offer beyond magic. There's just things are wished into existence and that's it. There's no actual mechanism. And this is an important point because intelligent design implies that there was design happening and that there was things that were put together. What is that mechanism? What, how did that occur in physical space on earth? They believe that the earth is six to 10,000 years old. This is another very important point because it's going to be a huge difference in explaining how things look across the earth, such as explanations of biogeography and geology. On the creationist side, they typically believe that that is all organized by Noah's flood, which occurred somewhere around 4,000 years ago. So we have all kinds of lines of evidence to support evolution. I can go through this list. This is just a, a subset. Um, Arn is specialist in, in other aspects of this. My specialty is a little bit more on the ideas of comparative morphology. So I've studied all kinds of different animals, and I've looked at how they have similar features that those shared features actually imply and strongly um, uh, can only be explained by a fact that they have a shared heritage. I'm happy to talk about that. We talk about the evolution of the brain, something that seems extraordinarily complex. Some people might assume that it's designed in some way. And in fact, um, there are lots of reasons to think that it's not. So creationists, of course, they need to explain that there's fossil evidence. They need to explain that um, what, how, how do we have comparative morphology? How do we explain these similarities that seem to follow in a nested hierarchy that falls into phylogenetic trees? Same goes for genetics. Genetics, you compare genes between, say, chimpanzees and humans, or humans to mice, or humans to frogs, you can see a nested hierarchy that occurs. Um, same with biogeography. Why are there marsupials in Australia and not elsewhere, except for just a handful, um, as well as the age of the earth? Again, this is a very critical point that I think that they have to address. So that's my opening. I think I might be just under six minutes, um, and I'm happy to turn that over to Arn. You got it. Thank you very much. Well, and kick it over to Arn. Is it my turn now? <clears throat> yes, sir. That's right. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks very much, Arn. The floor is all yours. All right. So when Carolus Linnaeus devised the systematic classification of life in 1735, he noticed that everything was nested in a hierarchical series of daughter groups descending from parent categories that were themselves siblings of several generations or ranks of earlier ancestral classifications. What he saw was the branching pattern of a family tree. And this was wholly inconsistent with his belief in divine design, and he had no explanation for it. 
because he knew that there could there there could be a variety of forms within any given species, whether dogs or cattle or pigeons or pea plants, since he was a botanist. But there was no bridge between species, no point where two closely related populations could diverge to the point that they could no longer interbreed. Different species could sometimes produce infertile hybrids if they were in the same genus, but not between different genera, even in the same family. And his taxonomic tree required speciation, the emergence of new species, which he could only uh, he could only assume was would be an, an act of special creation by God. And <clears throat> he could accept microevolution, which is variation but, you know, within a species, but not macroevolution, which is variation between species, being the emergence of new species. And later he realized that speciation had to be happening, but he couldn't figure out how, and he died with his greatest enigma unanswered. Then a century later, Darwin provided an explanation for the origin of species by means of natural selection. And once we knew that speciation could happen, folks began directly observing and documenting that in real time, on top of the many other ways that we can confirm these relationships in any given taxonomic family. For example, what was originally nested only in morphology is now twin nested in genetics as well, like following two sets of footprints back to where they once walked together. The Bible talks about different kinds of plants and animals, and it describes kinds according to whether they're able to interbreed and produce fertile offspring to bring forth after their kind. And thus, the Hebrew word min means exactly the same thing as the biological species concept. Now, modern creationists being forced to accept some level of taxonomy, but desperate to reject the rest, have tried to redefine that, and they've tried to misdefine macroevolution too in many other relevant terms as well. But neither science nor scripture supports their attempts to move the goalposts to change what these words have always meant. Now, creationists, and by them I mean Ken Ham and even Kent Hovind, now accept that speciation happens, which means that they accept macroevolution by definition, and they accept natural selection as an evolutionary mechanism leading to speciation. So they literally accept Darwin's account on the origin of species by means of natural selection. Yet they pretend to reject what they erroneously label as Darwinism, not understanding what that word means either. They have no argument against evolution at all. And nothing to promote a mystical creation by conjuration either. All they can ever do, all they can do is point back to some point in the misty past beyond evolution to the origin of life and some notion of universal beginnings, things we don't understand nearly as well, to pretend that we don't know, therefore, magic, as if the unexplained is explained by God, as if the magic imaginary designer is somehow the default assumption when there is there's not even such as not even possible, much less probable, and it's nor is it any in any way indicated. They have to show that there's a there there, something to show that there is at least some reality to the absurdity they believe, that it's not all entirely imaginary as it certainly seems to be. Evolution, on the other hand, is not remotely imaginary. It is demonstrable. Uh, we know now that if you take one original population and divide them, say, in, on different sides of an, a natural boundary like a wasteland, that soon enough, if you find a lone wanderer in the no man's land between them, you'll be able to recognize just by looking at it, which group it came from, because these now separate populations continually produce their own unique mutations that are not shared with the other group anymore because there's no more gene flow between them. But the smaller the community, or excuse me, uh, population genetics means that the parent gene, the parent gene pool 
tends to restrict new variants. So the larger the population, the slower the evolution. But the smaller the community, the more likely new traits will be expressed and spread throughout that population generations down the road. Until you have discernible subsets where every member of this group shares common traits that are not shared with any member of the other group. If they can still interbreed and produce fertile offspring, then th that is a subspecies distinction, what the Bible would call a kind. But the more diverse each collective genome becomes, the more they grow apart genetically, the less likely they will be physically or chemically compatible, and the higher the probability that their progeny may not be fertile or even viable until finally they are each their own genetically isolated species. At that point, the leash is off. The old gene pool imposes no influence at all anymore. Thus, speciation is the only taxonomic uh, distinction that has consistent definition among sexually reproductive animals, and it is the only way that, that or the only way that any of this diversity happens is by evolutionary mechanisms. This accounts for the whole of taxonomy, all of it, at every level, if you take the time to look at it in detail. You'll see that we can watch evolution happening, manipulate it, trace it, confirm it conclusively with multiple lines of independent overlapping evidence tracking back hundreds of millions of years. Evolution is an inescapable fact of population genetics, fossils, and phylogeny. Our opponents cannot deny that evident reality, no matter how much they would rather make believe in something else instead. All they have is a literal fairy tale, nothing but folk tales that have been proven wrong. We can show the truth of evolution. They can't show that there was ever any truth to creationism. You got it. Thank you very much for that opening as well. We are going to kick it over to the creation side as well. But first, I want to say, folks, in case it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral channel hosting debates on science, religion, and politics, and it's only debates. And we want to let you know, no matter what walk of life you are from, we hope you feel welcome. Atheist, Christian, Muslim, you name it, we're glad you're here. And this is a big one. At the bottom right of your screen, as you can see, this Friday, Apostate Prophet and David Wood partner up against Perfect Dawah and Nadir on whether or not Islam is violent. You don't want to miss it. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss it. And with that, we're going to kick it over to Cindy and Sal. Thanks so much for being with us. The floor is all yours for your openings as well. Cindy's going to go for nine minutes and me for three. You bet. Again, thank you to James, Aaron, and Dr. Chris for making this discussion possible. Um, consider the title of this article by evolutionary biologist John J. Welch. What is wrong with evolutionary biology? Welsh's article is just a partial laundry list of the problems with evolutionary biology. We hope to show tonight that he did not even scratch the surface of those problems. Consider also Jerry Coyne, author of Why Evolution is True. Coyne states, in science's pecking order, evolutionary biology lurks somewhere near the bottom, far closer to the pseudoscience of phrenology then to physics. We emphatically agree with Coyne in putting physics at the top and evolutionary biology at the bottom. I'm sorry, my evolutionary friends, we do still love you. Um, for example, in physics, here are Maxwell's equations for classical electrodynamics. These relate electricity, magnetism, and optics. These equations also led to Lorentz Einstein's theory of special relativity. Without 
our modern understanding of electromagnetism represented by these equations, there would be no modern electronics, no modern cars, no spark plugs, no airplanes, computers, phones, light bulbs, etc. We cannot live modern lives without scientists accepting Maxwell's equations of physics. But I'm sorry to disagree with Dr. Chris. We can study biology without accepting evolution at all. Biology is the study of structure and function of living things. Structure and function, I believe, scream, design, purpose, foresight, and planning. Why is evolution believed? It is somewhat like this picture of a pencil dipped in water that appears to be bent. And this diagram representing what ancient man believed was a geocentric universe. Thomas Huxley, Darwin's bulldog, said, the great tragedy of science is the slaying of a beautiful hypothesis by an ugly fact. Or in our opinion, the slaying of an ugly hypothesis by a beautiful fact. These optical illusions created misconceptions that were finally destroyed by facts. The pencil is not bent and the earth is not the center of the universe. Stephen Jay Gould asked the rhetorical question, did he, that is God, create life to mimic evolution and test our faith thereby? Francis Collins also argues that to deny evolution would make God a great deceiver. This is like insisting the pencil is bent because we assume God would not make optical illusions. But this is a logical fallacy. The real question is whether the pencil is bent or not. The metaphor of the bent pencil applies to evolutionary biology. There are many things in biology which could give us the illusion of natural evolution. For example, aloo elements, junk DNA, pseudogenes, etc. Sal's going to take that further during open dialogue. Darwin supposed a nested hierarchy similar to this tree of life diagram from the Smithsonian. To many people, the grouping of life forms appears to conform to that tree of life diagram because of morphological and genetic similarities. For example, all living organisms are made of cells. So the appearance can be that we must have all come from a first cell. Additionally, 99% of living organisms use the same genetic code and the same DNA alphabet, A, C, T, and G. However, remember things are not always as they appear. For the sake of argument, let's say there is a universal common ancestor, a first life form. That first life form would still require a miracle. According to Virchow's principles, cells only come from pre-existing cells. This begs the question, where did the first living cell come from? We understand abiogenesis is not the same as evolution. However, there would be no evolution without the miracle of abiogenesis because there's no evolution without life. Therefore, evolutionists, you are not off the hook on the origin of that first life. Some scientists deal with the abiogenesis question by appealing to multiple universes. Some appeal to aliens because they know that all life requires a parent or a seed. 
In addition to the fact that evolution cannot even get started without the miracle of the first life, the next problem is the origin of major protein families. Major protein families are so vastly different, both in shape and sequence. It's clear from diagrams such as this. There is no universal common ancestor for the major protein slash gene families. The major protein families and many taxonomically restricted protein families would require events indistinguishable from miracles of God. The question is fundamentally whether complex life emerged by miracles or by no miracles. We can examine this more in open dialogue. So far, we have assumed for the sake of argument that the earth is billions of years old and that common descent is true in order to show that evolutionary theory, however you define it, will still fail on the most important issue, namely the emergence of, as Darwin said, quote, organs of extreme perfection and complication, end quote. Though Sal and I believe in young earth, we acknowledge unexplained problems like geomagnetism, radiometric dating, speed of light, and the distant starlight problem. We have not emphasized these today in the interest of time. But if the earth is young, then there would be no universal common descent because there would not be enough time to evolve everything from a primordial cell. So this raises the question for some, why then would God make creatures similar to us? like chimps. The answer we're putting on the table is that God created these patterns of similarity to facilitate scientific discovery and medical research in this intelligently designed but also cursed world. Creationists should thank God every day we have body parts that resemble the body parts of, quote, model organisms, as seen in this diagram. We claim that through these model organisms, we can understand that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, as it says in the Psalms. If we did not have these designed model organisms, we would have to resort to dissecting humans rather than fetal pigs, rats, chimps, or squids. We are different enough from chimps that if the earth is young, it would be evident we do not share a common ancestor, but are rather separate creations but we are similar enough to chimps that chimps can serve as a model organism for scientific and medical research. We can do medical research just as well, if not better, assuming common design by God rather than assuming common descent with no God. Take it away, Sal. And thank you, Cindy. Some of the problems that I will point out, we can discuss it in the free discussion our problems with the transition from prokaryote to eukaryote, I deal with diagrams like this in the origin of eukaryotic uh, chromatin. And this is just all the machinery involved in double-stranded brake repair for eukaryotic chromatin. The number of simultaneous events and things that have to be there for this to work just boggles the mind. Uh, if not in the theological sense, it would be a miracle in the statistical sense Gradual pathways uh, do not at all seem reasonable, and that is subject somewhat to experiment. There's also the problem of the membrane-bound nucleus of the eukaryote. Uh, this would involve just 
so many things that it just boggles the mind in terms of the complexity. There would have to be the membrane-bound organelle plus all the ports like the nuclear port complex, uh, the import-export machinery involved, uh, the gatekeepers, and then things called nuclear localization signals. I have, I have diagrams on that and also um, um, uh, translocation processes. I've had the privilege to work with Dr. John Sanford. He is a Cornell research professor, retired. His invention, the gene gun, has fed starving billions. He represents the unsung creationists that you don't hear of. He has published in um, all sorts of venues, including the prestigious scientific journal Nature. He published in the journal of Mathematical Biology. I've had the privilege of being his colleague and work for him. This theorem that they published set records in the journal Mathematical Biology. I have then worked with them on the population genetics of this. Natural selection does not work according to what you think it does in the textbooks. The elite know that it's kind of a failing paradigm and we can cover that. Um, he was invited to the National Institutes of Health to talk about this problem, we are decaying. And there are all sorts of other things there. As far as mechanism, we do have on the table by various physicists that God exists as a possibility. And I would just say that um, argument by contradiction is not an argument for, from ignorance. How improbable does something have to be? How complex before we begin to entertain the possibility that it was a divine miracle? We can scientifically argue from probability. That's well within the bounds of science. If we're willing to be speculative, we could invite these, this conception of God just straight from quantum mechanics without appeal to any sort of theology. This leads to testable predictions about the human genome decaying, the uh, destiny of the biosphere, the destiny of civilization. So I look forward to uh, the uh, free discussion and I wanna thank everyone for joining us tonight. Thank you very much for those openings from our creation side. We are going to jump into open conversation this is going to be a civil conversation, folks, as we know that for you, it's important that there is not too much speaking over each other or interrupting. That's why if it gets too rowdy, we'll just break it into two-minute segments. With that, thank you very much to all of our guests. We're thrilled to have you here. This is going to be a fun one. The floor is all yours. All right. Well, um, if the I... Aisle. Sorry, go all ahead. Right. Handshakes across the aisle before we come out. Indeed, yes. Let's have a nice civil debate. I think that, that would be a great idea. Um, yeah, and also I'm Chris. I'm not Dr. Chris. I know I put that in there. That's because if you're, you're going to search for my YouTube channel, you have to add the Dr. Chris Thompson. You can find it. I have all kinds of videos on mostly about neuroscience and um, how the brain works. Um, but, you know, I, I um, uh, so yes, I, I'm Chris. Um, I, I don't insist anyone calls me Dr. Chris. Uh, so let's see. Um, I, I have a couple of questions regarding your presentation. And I guess one of them is that you are putting forward the idea that common morphology that we find that appears to follow a very nice uh, um, uh, specific pattern 
that follows along exactly the predictions that we see from evolution, from what we would predict would be like when recent common ancestors happened. And that these, but these model organisms that we happen to use, that these were specially created to allow for medical discoveries. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And I would just say this in, in geocentrism, you had testable predictions that were fulfilled. It was the anomalies that broke it. So in geocentrism, uh, you could predict eclipses and all sorts of other things. So, so would that then suggest so I, that, sorry, um, would sure. that then suggest that your hypothesis that these model organisms are well suited for discovery of like health issues in humans, um, would there be anomalies there that, that would disprove that hypothesis? How would you go about disproving yeah. that oh, hypothesis? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So right. there is there is a peer-reviewed publication this, that I've worked on. And it's actually been pioneered by a lot of other people on this topic where we, uh, so first of all, since I knew you're a neuroscientist, I put the squid up there for you. I, knew I appreciate you that. Significance. Yes, they're, they're lovely animals. There, <laughs> neuroscience was pioneered by the giant squid axon. The squid Indeed. is not very, as far as I know, very near us, but it was, it's beautifully optimized in some sense to enable to, to probe its, its nervous system because we could insert you know, little probes in it because it's just so big relative to other creatures. Mm. I, I would say more, that it's because they don't have myelin. That's why their axons are so big. So they never evolved myelin. That's something that's specific to vertebrates. And so they don't have any myelin sheathing. And that allowed for those axons to be very large, which makes it easy to record. And that's why early, early studies to identify how actual potentials work and how synapses work. A lot of that work was done in the giant squid, like you pointed out. Okay, if I could share my screen, maybe I could more directly answer your question, Dr. Dr. Chris. I'll try to call That's you Chris. Chris. Yeah, it's fine. This is Chris. All right, so this is, again, we have similarity. I'm not denying that of the human and zebrafish. That's the collagen. And we can say it's 75% similar depending on your scoring technique. So, and then you can build these nested hierarchy diagrams, these phylogen phylogenetic, it looks like compelling evidence for evolution. I, but then I showed that there is the, the problem that the, the proteins don't have um, really good, uh, there's not a common ancestor like here. So on the left is collagen, on the right is the zinc finger 136. And like on the left, the glycines are highlighted. On the right, the cysteines and histidines are highlighted. And you can see it's a very distinct architecture. So there's no common ancestry in the proteins. And I think that's problematic and it's also a probabilistic thing. But to the point of biology being optimized, one project I'm working on is if you take the sequences, like say it's zebrafish, humans, and you take the homologs across a large spectrum of species, you put it through an algorithm that looks kind of like this here. It's, you can look it up on Wikipedia. It's the direct coupling analysis. It can then, give you the protein fold, a three-dimensional, it's just like voodoo. And to me, I, I mean, just, it's worth exploring, but a testable hypothesis is if we start to remove creatures from the set of homologs, that the protein fold prediction will fail. That would indicate to me, as I was saying, the hypothesis we put forward, this is biology's optimized for scientific discovery that both morphologically and then also at the molecular level, it's optimized, but you really see it with this. 
And um, if one is a young earth creationist, you'd have to say, okay, why do you have all this similarity there? What's the pattern? Because it does look evolved and we've acknowledged that here. Uh, but if it's young, that would be kind of the ugly fact that destroys evolution, that it's not common descent, it's common design. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, I mean, I, so I'm, I'm actually struck by a story that I know quite well, which is um, the discovery of the Parkin gene. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but it's called the Parkin gene because this gene, the first thing that we learned about it is that in humans that have a specific mutation in this gene, they have early onset Parkinson's disease. So we identified this gene. We said, oh, well, this must be the gene for Parkinson's disease because we had no idea what it was involved in. So eventually, though, what we did is we went to the mouse model, which is what we usually do. And so for those that don't know, Parkinson's disease is a specific disease where you have a loss of dopaminergic neurons in the substantia nigra pars compacta, and that that loss of dopaminergic neurons means you have insufficient drive to allow for motor planned motor behavior. And so then you can no longer, you're frozen and, and stiff. So why not do this in mice, right? Because we can't do it in humans, like you said. Um, it's just unethical. So we're going to do this in mice. We're going to knock out the Parkin gene in mice. And what we find is that there's no Parkin phenotype whatsoever. Now, they do have some effects, but it's mostly has to do with like weight gain. So there's some changes in how they deal with high fat diets and also a couple of effects on the heart. But they show no, absolutely no effects on Parkinson's disease. And so, and it turns out that the Parkin gene is involved in a process of what we call mitophagy. So that's how we get rid of damaged mitochondria. Now, it does it both in humans and in mice, but the ultimate effect of knocking out this entire gene um, in mice leads to basically no phenotype, no Parkinson's disease. And there were millions and millions of dollars wasted on grants to identify this. Of course, they discovered interesting things about how Parkin works, but it completely violated the hypothesis that, wow, we're going to have now a way of looking at Parkinson's disease in mice by knocking out this gene. And it just didn't work at all. And there's lots of examples like that. Um, mice are great for lots of things, but oftentimes we find that there are important subtle differences that just completely illustrate the fact that there we have to take into account that they are not tiny little humans that were perfectly designed for us for allow us to discover interesting things about the way humans work. And I mean, it just kind of blows that whole hypothesis out of the water. Uh, well, I have a different opinion because we certainly would not have as, as much medical technology if we didn't have model organisms. I'm not saying that they're perfect, but they certainly have immensely helped. I can't imagine us doing medical technology and advancing our understanding of human without model organisms. That's why we have such a suite of them. And, you know, the alternative is then to be dissecting each other. So I'm not saying that they're they're perfect models and that's why we call them model organisms. But that being said, in terms of pure science, just as a scientific question, um, and that's why we try to subdivide this where we assume common descent, it's like, okay, we can at least argue complexity, but then, you know, we, we would have, I'm just conceding to you that with an old earth and you look at the pattern of biology, you'd have, it's, it's hard to deny common descent. So I think we're on agreement there. And I've tried to tell creationists don't argue that way, mm -hmm. because if you're going to argue old earth and you try to argue against similarity, you're going to lose. I do gene browsing a lot. And I could see genes that are hundred percent identical between us and chimps. 
I also see the patterns of pseudogenes and I've dealt with ALU elements and ERVs. So, you know, guys, just creationists, if you're listening, don't go there. But if the earth is young and there's, I have, I have gone from being a theistic evolutionist to an old earth creationist to a young earth creationist, some of the stuff in physics has started to make me think and enough that it put enough doubt that I said, just given kind of my own, you know, cause I'm a Christian and I, I have, you know, I read the Bible. It's like, okay, it seems enough of it aligns with the way that I see the scientific evidence just as a matter of faith. I said, I'll, I'll accept it by faith. I'm not going to pretend I have the science, but there've been certain things with radiometric dating that have only emerged like in the last year with electron, heavy electron quasi particles there may be a pathway to changing nuclear structure and that could throw everything, a monkey wrench in everything. And, you know, my under, my graduate degree is in applied physics and I was very fascinated by this topic. And I think it's still kind of early in the game to kind of write young earth creationism off. The other thing is, as I said, I had published in population genetics with Dr. Sanford. It's in university shelves and a book on mathematics and the arts and sciences. Um, and the human genome is decaying. There are many titles that are saying, like by evolutionists that say, why, are, why haven't we died a hundred times over? That to me just screams that, you know, humanity's young. And this does have medical implications and will lead to testable predictions about the direction of civilization and how long we're gonna stay on earth. And to me, that's just very sobering. And I'm just throwing it out there. And I don't know any major geneticist that thinks our genome is actually improving. Uh, so I, I can say some things, Aaron, I don't want to hog the whole, the whole time. And I know that you probably have some things that you'd like to say about this. So. Yeah. Um, first of all, addressing what Cindy said, uh, we can learn nothing by assuming gods and magic. There are a number of things that we can determine about uh, evolutionary ancestry and phylogenies and so forth, but there is nothing that pretending that we were created by a magic spell will ever avail us. There's just, there's no, there's no future in that. Uh, Cindy Lincoln never addressed evolution at all, nor does she give any indication that she even knows what it is, unfortunately. I don't think either of them listened to my my opening statement because that was explaining what evolution is and they're going to say that and she, she immediately followed that by saying that evolution is a belief everything that i just said about what evolution is is demonstrable measurable verifiable not a bit of it is belief this is all the stuff we can verify and then if you want to get into what i call the phylogeny challenge if you're going to argue for a creationism if you're going to argue that all these animals are not related then if we get into the taxonomy, you're going to have to show me where the division is, and there isn't one. That's the phylogeny challenge. No creationist will even try to answer this, and the reason is because of the difference in our perspectives. If you're a science-minded person, then you look at this as an investigation. It doesn't matter what, what the end result is. You just want to find out whatever's true, whatever it is. And, that, and, and if it's not something you wanted it to be, oh, well. Uh, when I find out that that something that I believed um, was not as well supported as I was told that it was, I don't have to have that notion disproved. It's enough to know that there was not a reason to assume it in the first place. I have already stopped believing it. 
But they're coming at this from a belief perspective where they have the conclusion they're going to make believe that conclusion doesn't matter what the evidence is. It does. I've had people admit to me, believers admit to me that even if they knew it was wrong, if I had proof that it was wrong, they would still believe it anyway. So having no idea what evolution is, and I would love to fix that for Cindy. I mean, because I mean, she's lived with Kent Hovind. She has no idea. He has no idea what evolution is. I've had Evan to correct him on this numerous times. And I've, I've come to the point where I know that he knows that he's full of shit. That he knows that the things that he says are not true. This is a, this is the same with with all of these leading creationists. They know that they're selling a bullshit story, that that none of their claims are are true. So what I said was that she can't talk about evolution. She's going to have to reach back past evolution to look at you know, the origin of life instead, and that's exactly what she did. So there was nothing in here about evolution at all. And I even noticed like uh, you know, other people were, were commenting that that. They aren't going to be looking at any kind of taxonomy, which is what evolution is all about. We're talking about phylogenies here. And other people are talking about the origin of the eye as if it was something that just poofed out of nowhere. Again, these are detailed things we can study, and it would take time to learn them. Incremental uh, incremental branching uh, phylogenies for all of these. But it's a very complex subject, and then we're not even, and we're not even looking at it. So then she said that uh, she know she mentioned that her God was apparently deceptive because he would create things that looked just like us and didn't just look like us, but also had uh, structurally exactly like us, but also had the genetic, the, the genome to verify that, that that we and they are the same thing, that we are the same family, that we are apes, that humans are a subset of apes, just as chimpanzees are, just as gorillas are. And then we have the fossil record for dozens more species that no longer exist that they were all apes too but she's got no concept of that creationists don't they just don't look at anything they don't want to see because they don't want to understand it because if they understand it they'll believe it they want to believe something else and i don't believe evolution because i want to believe it i don't want to believe anything i want to understand what is really true and finally, uh, she 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 referenced virtue. Wait, wait, wait! You have two subjects on the table, and you're about to do a third, and my brain can't handle all that. I okay. want to respond the first, and it's kind of related to the second, if you don't mind. Okay, Sal, would you put up the Smithsonian taxonomy? One moment, it's coming, and. Here you go, Cindy. As they say in the younger generation, wait for it. There you go. Um, it's not fair for you, Aaron, to say that I only believe what I want to believe. Okay, you can't speak for me in that way. I don't believe that accurately represents me. From the time I was in college, I remember seeing these trees of life. And in fact, this one isn't a very good one because it doesn't really show all the different life forms. I remember seeing, wow, that starfish is hugely different than that sea cucumber. Even if you want to put them together low on the tree, they're still vastly different. And Sal is going to disagree with me on this, but the point he was making about the proteins, uh, gene families being so different. Um, let me see if I can... Are you trying to find it? Thank you, honey. 
that they are so unique. They defy a common ancestor. I would say that, and this is what I was saying, Sal would disagree with me on. I would say many of the families um, are so different and so unique. They defy somebody saying they have a common ancestor. For me, it was just obvious looking at those trees that, you know, yeah, you could say all the cat family are related, but you can't say a cat's related to a giraffe. You might be able to, and they're all made of cells, obviously. And another thing Sal might disagree with me on is I don't believe it has to be provable that God made all of us have a nervous system, a digestive system, so that we could study it medically. That's a good idea, but I don't think it has to be proven in order to defy evolution. Personally, I think it makes sense that we all have arms and legs and, and mouths because we all have to walk. We all have to pick up our food. We all have to live on the same planet. We all have to breathe the same air. So for me, that, that makes sense. And I think that's all. Okay, so you're talking about a subject you you know absolutely nothing about. You've seen some very, very simple pictures, but these these are in depth. And when you talk about how you, you know, if you can say that all the cats are the same family, what do you what do you even mean by that? And then are they are they in the same parent category as giraffes? Well, they are both mammals, aren't they? And if we get into details on this, you're gonna have to we could show, we could start with the with the simplest things and start moving backward. And you're gonna realize these things are all related. And yeah, we're gonna we'll we'll just go ahead and say, like, like your ex-husband did, although well, that's I mean, a five-year-old could tell you they're all the same kind, because he I has to base his science. Like my husband, but thank you. He has to base his science on what a five-year-old says, because that's the limit of his understanding. But the problem is when you when you go back when you go back and you start looking at these, <laughs> there you, there is not a point where you would say, okay, well, this is independent of these 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 came from separate special creations. No, you're going to say these are related, these are related, these are related, and as we track back further and further, you're going to realize, yeah, these are all related. And and when you take uh, if for any two things, you have to show up any two animals. Just to keep you know to keep it easy, let's use animals. Show any two animals. You can always show differences between those two animals. You can show differences between me and Sal. I mean, if you all you focus in on on differences, and there's only two examples, there's always going to be differences. Throw up three. Put up three animals. Two of them are going to be closer than the other one. The old Sesame Street game. One of these things is not like the other. Explore that with. Aaron, I guarantee. I guarantee I can prove evolution to your satisfaction if you would, if you, if you really are the truth seeker that you're pretending to be right now. If I am unfairly representing your, your belief system, if you really would change your mind, if you saw the truth, let me correct your situation and you will thank me for it. I can show that, you how these things really that, are related. That tree that Sal just put up. You do believe that we all that a, that a single cell turned into all the diversity? Can I show you all the detail on how you can know that too? Well, can I just have a yes or no? Is that really? That's that not something I I don't I don't like to use the word believe because we use it in a different I use it differently than a believer does. A believer is going to make believe. 
Okay. If I say that I believe something, it means that this is what I think is true or closest to the truth, but I don't know that because I can't show it. I can okay. show this. I don't think it happens. So I this is not something I believe. This is something I know and can show. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Cindy. If you think that all the diversity came from a single cell, I disagree. And I can show you how to know that. But it's well, going to take some time. It, this is a very complex yeah. subject. And you haven't learned about it because you, it would take years to invest in it. But I can give you a short summary. I can give you a rundown in just a few different interactions, like in, in, a, in, a, in a discussion board or something. I can show you all the evidence you would ever need to realize, yeah, this is a thing and change your mind forever. I'm sorry. I don't believe you. I know you don't believe me. Let me prove it. <laughs> Honey. Two I know dozen mutual exchanges. And it mutual drives exchanges. me nuts. But cells produce cells. Bacteria produce bacteria. I'm sorry, yeah. but it's yeah. a thing. And that's, that's according to the laws mm -hmm. of evolution. There's two laws of evolution that apply that. Imply that. The law of monophyly and the law of biodiversity which your husband never understood. I, I constantly corrected him, and he kept saying this idiotic thing. Well, dogs produce dogs. They don't have to produce a non-dog. Yeah, you idiot, because that's what <laughs> evolution allows, right? You cannot grow out of your ancestry. Okay. So you never stop being or whatever your ancestry But do you understand are. how contradictory that is? If you don't understand what evolution dog is, always and I know that dog, you don't. If you're going to say a cell becomes a dog. What? I never understand your position. It seems contradictory to me to say that a dog is always going to be a dog, but a cell is going to, over millions of years, turn into a dog. You mean dogs are not still cells? That's playing games. Have you ever heard of the cell theory of biology? You mentioned Virchow. He's the one that came up with that. So, Cindy, if I if I can interject a little bit, I feel like you're 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 asking origins of multicellularity. So, for you know our model, right? And I agree with Aaron that we don't believe things; we have models, we have working models. Some are better supported than others. However, all of it has some support. We wouldn't have come up with it otherwise. Now, the working model is that for billions of years there was essentially just single cell organisms for a long time, as far as we know. Um, at some point, multicellularity emerged. Now, that sounds like a huge leap, but there are studies showing under natural selection, under laboratory conditions, that you can evolve multicellularity. So I'm just going to show really quickly here. Well, there's a, a huge difference between a colony of multiple cells and uh -huh. a cohesive system. Make this is a cohesive system of organisms in order to respond to predation. So they were under natural selection, under predation conditions where they could, you know, they had to respond in a certain way. And uh, on over 750 generations, which it sounds like a long time, but for, uh, for algae, it, it isn't. Um, they were able to develop multicellularity, and this was a permanent change. So now these organisms are now multicellular in their nature. And this happened over a period of just like weeks. And there are other studies showing similar things. So this leap of multicellularity, you know, you could imagine then that now we have organisms that have multiple cells, and then you're going to lead to expression changing, to transcription factors that evolve and change to allow expression to affect and induce change in their neighboring cells 
um, to allow for those cells to differentiate and, and do different things. Within a, within a, a limit. Those I don't know if it's within a limit. I mean, like the limit is what? Those different cells can Because we're talking about billions of years, can't right? can't go from being a colony well, of algae into a, an animal of any kind. Yeah, you're not going to see that in the lab. I would agree with that. Uh, you're but, not going to yeah. see it in reality either. I Well, I mean, reality is a long, long time. It's a lot longer than a few thousand years. And, and so I actually, I want to get to that because what is your explanation for the organization, organization of fossils that we find in the fossil record? So we see older rocks have a certain... A uh, penelope of different kinds of animals and plants, sometimes, but not even plants in, at certain levels. And then eventually you see different animals, you see different plants, and we see drastic changes that occur. I live in the Appalachian Mountains. I can go to some parts in this area. I do this. I go out with my kids and then we go out and look for fossils. Certain areas have different fossils than other areas that are only 20, 30 miles apart from each other. Uh, and what's the, I mean, if everything was specially created 6,000 years ago, why do we see fossilization in this very discrete order that follows along and in fact seems to match the genetic data and the, the implied data from what we have for comparative morphology? What's uh, like, I wanna know your explanation for that. Like what, what happened? I mean, you guys are implying that there's an intelligent designer or creator that did this. How was that done? I'll stop sharing. We're correct. We do not believe that the fossil record represents a time record. And in the Appalachians, you're quite aware that there are coal seams and oil. That is smashed up dead things by the scores that is actually more biomaterial than exists on the planet today, which I believe indicates that the planet used to be tropical, used to be a lot more lush than it is today. That's pretty much proof of that. By the way, since you mentioned proof, I noticed somebody else had made the comment about that. If I, if I offer to prove something to you, I'm doing, I'm not doing that in terms of mathematic proof. I'm offering proof in the terms of uh, an overwhelming preponderance of evidence beyond reasonable doubt, sufficient to convince you that yes, we have a valid point. So I went, I spent a couple of weeks in the desert uh, a couple of months back. Uh, I was in Wyoming on a fossil expedition into uh, strata that was dated to 47 million years ago. So everything we found in this remote desert area was all uh, like freshwater lake deposits and, and mammals. We found uh, rhino-like horses and horses like rhinos because horses and rhinos are very closely related. They evolved from a common ancestor. And so there's a lot of branches that you intermediates that you find there. So why is it we find those there? And then a couple of years ago, I was in South Africa. I was in a different fossil area where it was dated to 243 million years ago. And everything we found there were therapsids. This is before dinosaurs. There were no mammals. So we know nobody finds mammals. But we find all these Permian things, the types of animals you would expect to find in the Permian. We can find them again in, in Texas, too, where I live, in the Permian Basin. So one of the, that's one of the many things that we can show. There's, there's different layer, layers of, ex, of exposed strata that we can radiometrically date according to, um, you know, like when there's, when there's ash falls and stuff like that, so that we can date the range. And we're going to find 
certain types of fossils at each of these levels. And everywhere in the world, there's going to be the same types of fossils. We're never going to find a mammal in the Permian. These, these rhino-like horses or horses-like rhinos that I found in Wyoming from 47 million, you're not going to find one of those in the Permian. Never, ever happened. If there really was a global flood, which we know for absolutely certain there was not, and we can prove that. We don't know that for you know, we certain. Can, we know Aaron for absolutely Rock. certain there was not. If you not, go any that. place on the planet, they will say to you, at one time, this whole entire area was covered by water. And some places were not. A lot of places were, but some places were not. So we Including can the absolutely Appalachians, prove. by the way, there are ammonites on the top of those mountains. Yep, because sure. mountains rise and fall. Creatures. Yes, they rise and fall. I, I've yes. got... I've got a fossil right here, collected this a few weeks ago. These are brachiopods. These are Ordovician brachiopods from one layer of strata. And oh, yeah, no, right, like there's, there's a shell there, right? So you can see yeah. it. Beautiful. Yes. And, and, but then you go to other layers and then you find, as you were saying, like we find these carbon rich layers. Those are carboniferous. They bear carbon. That's why it's called the Carboniferous Layers. And that, that's when we had a whole different kind of penalty of, of, uh, of, of organisms, primarily trees, these giant trees that didn't decompose, ended up creating cold beds. And I've got another example right here of Carboniferous plant material, which you don't find, even though it's only 15 miles away, uh, where we see this uh, Ordovician type material, and we know that we can date these layers and the Carboniferous layers match to what we would expect that those datings to be. And the Ordovician layers are, you know, four hundred some million years old. And um, I mean, what's the explanation for that? That's not. You can't say that that's a global flood that allowed just these particular species of brachiopods to be found in layers of rock that happen to be radiometrically dated to around 420 million years ago. Or like Aaron is saying, that we find these, you know, in Permian layers, thrapsid animals that are only going to be found in, in these Permian layers, uh, um, you know, in either the United States or in China or other countries. And, and the same patterns you might the have, world. Some places you might have evidence of a tsunami, for example. I mean, you, you might have... Uh, Cretaceous, Cretaceous uh, animals that are found in, in, a, in what appears to be a tsunami deposit, or you might have another tsunami deposit might al always be Jurassic. <laughs> so everything in the area is from the Jurassic. And then you can have ash falls, which also like in China, you'll have an ash fall that covers all these uh, Cretaceous animals. And then you have Paleozoic ash falls in the United States, like in Nebraska, where again, all, all, all pleased to see mammals, not one dinosaur in the whole group. And that's consistent everywhere in the world. Yeah. Nowhere on the planet ever do we have anything that matches the global flood of Noah. And we, there are several different ways that we know and can prove that Noah's flood never happened. Adam and Eve never happened. The Tower of Babel never happened. The Exodus never happened. And Snakes don't please? talk. Snails don't talk. Go for show, it, show and tell here. This is a whale fossil that I found on the coast of Virginia, where you find those Cenozoic, uh, um, uh, you know, place to sign uh, fossils. So this is a whale fossil, right? This is probably shoulder bone or something like that. I pulled this out from the, the coast along the Potomac and you don't find them in Ordovician rocks. I have looked through Ordovician rocks. I don't find any whale bones whatsoever. If this is truly the result of of a uh, of a global flood, why can't I find 
waterborne mammals in those artificial rocks or any mammals to, to whatsoever. You don't find any. Until the end of the Cretaceous, these were among the most common of all life forms in the ocean. These are ammonites. I dug these off of a, of a Cretaceous beach uh, that was uh, one time almost the entire state of Texas was underwater and the beach line was right around where Texas meets Oklahoma. So there are thousands upon thousands of these that built up on the beach and then were buried. So you, you can get where the shoreline is just covered. Thousands and thousands of these. And one time and, the whole area was covered by water. I know. Not the whole area. It was That was the beach. Because if you continue, continue on east and north, you stop. They're no longer on the beach. They're gone. No, they're on every mountain yeah. on the planet. No, they're not. not no. Sandy, may I get a word on Sandy? Study Michelle. paleontology before Go you ahead. start talking to paleontologists about it, okay? No, they're not uh, on every mountain. I've got pictures of shells from the Andes, the Himalayas. The, I know. Do you know why the Himalayas? The Rockies. Do you know why? You know why? Because the Indian subcontinent was once attached to Australia broke off and crashed into Eurasia. And what was what was then the ocean between them got shoved up and is still being shoved up an inch or so a year into the Himalayan mountains. That used to be seafloor. Right. And they can I'd still like, measure- I'd like to get a word in, gentlemen. I haven't sure. spoken for 20 minutes. Yeah, please. Aaron, uh, you've been talking Aaron. about population genetic. I'm, I'm sorry, sir. Aaron, I, no offense intended, Aaron. Have you studied population genetics? Have you published in it? No, I have not published. Okay, I have. And you're talking about not studying things. I studied under top evolutionary biologists. I published in population genetics. There are problems. It's not as good as you characterized. First of all, their definition of fitness is now known to be flawed. Natural selection tends to reduce versatility. Yes. So when yes. did I ever bring up a definition of fitness? Well, I'm just you're just talking about population genetics. It comes up. That's a that's a field so, in population genetics. You're going to bring the topic what, up. What is but my definition of we're fitness? We're talking about faith here. I have you said that we ignored taxonomy. Mm -hmm. That's partly because cell stuff takes priority. I just showed stuff with a chromatin double-stranded brake repair. How does that evolve? How does the dinosaur and fossil record explained that. That's what I'm saying. That's what we are saying are faith statements. You can't just use circularly, circularly reasoned phylogenetic methods to try to explain probabilistic problems here because uh, not, we could, we could walk through that. We could go through the cell membrane. Dr. Chris probably teaches about chromatin and the cell membrane, nuclear import, export, how did that evolve? How does the fossil record explain that? How can you explain it in terms of phylogeny without resort to circular but, reasoning? These are faith statements. You cannot, these reasoning. are non sequiturs to go from the fossil record to be asking all these questions about young earth creationism. So you're the one using it still doesn't solve it. It is a faith statement. It is not reasonable. Thank you. You're accusing me of using a definition I never used. I never even brought up the definition. You asked me how dinosaurs explain things that evolved before dinosaurs so you're conflating you're doing a whole lot of non sequiturs here why don't we just look at the taxonomy of, of any specific thing right start with dinosaurs if you want start with dogs no. if you want i told we, you why i, I told no, you why cells no, take precedence over fossils i gave you the challenge that you sir cannot answer and must if there was no, any i don't have to answer it 
And we know that there is no truth to creationism. There is truth to evolution. There's things we can demonstrate to be true about evolution. There is nothing that you can... Protein families. What? The tree, you're talking about phylogenetic trees, but the tree that you wrap up the cells... What? I don't have I don't have to really prove good. anything that you ask because so, the problem with yeah. cell transitions makes it moot. This okay, is a big no, deal. This is exactly the problem the with the bent pencil. If no, you want you to cherry pick, the question. If you want to ignore anomalous problems, you can, and you can I'm not ignore nice I'm not the theory. I've given the single everything. ugly fact that breaks a beautiful hypothesis. That is the eukaryotic components, the emergence of them from and simpler forms, me. and also proteins that just don't have common ancestors. They'd have to come from nothing. Put that up, don't. Sal. No, they Put don't. Up that you are tree. conflating a bunch of different non-sequiturs so. while accusing me of the very thing that you're doing. If you want to argue for creationism, then you are the one who's ignoring everything. I gave you the thing that you must address. If you want to show that taxonomy is only good up to a certain point. You got to show me where that point is. He did. He showed. No, he you didn't. He doesn't even know what the question means. He showed you a tr a taxonomic tree. I ignored it. Yes, because it is moved. You're really. Good. I have everything I put forward dwarfs your issues. This is a bigger problem. It doesn't sound. You have to oh, come up with a eukaryotic, mechanism to explain. Eukaryotic transition. If you don't have eukaryotic evolution, you don't have evolution. I showed you the problems. If you want you to have evolution and pretend it doesn't exist as a problem, that's I'm not your the choice. One pretending. Don't, don't, don't put words into my mouth like this because I'm not the one pretending. I'm not the one ignoring. Uh -oh. We feel different. Aaron got muted. I, I mean, know. not so saying that if you're you want to argue, but I don't you feel like argue, I'm pretending. Hold on one second. Okay, just to be sure that we, for sure, there's not too much overlap. Go ahead, RN. We'll give you about two minutes. Then we'll get right. over to one of the speakers on the creation side. Okay. If you want to argue that our, that our taxonomy is flawed some way, that there are different kinds, like if you look back to the Noah's Ark thing, for example, you want to say that Noah didn't have every species, he only had certain kinds, and that everything evolved from, the, from there, then give me what those examples are. Show me what those, so, show me what the, the, the initial archetypes are. Show me where the taxonomy breaks down. That's the phylogeny challenge that no creationist will dare answer because it disrupts the belief system. That's the thing you have to ignore. That's the thing you are ignoring, and then I'm not, because it has nothing to do with your protein conflation that you brought up before. Show me where the taxonomy breaks down. This is the argument. This is the very thing you are saying is happening. Show me that that is happening. The protein configuration shows that they are so different they could not have a common ancestor. No, it doesn't show that, but it uh, it also doesn't address the question, does it? How does that identify which animals or what type are on Noah's Ark? How, how does that show where the taxonomy breaks down? It breaks down at the cellular level. Okay, so it's you're saying that cellular God had level. a cell on the Noah's Ark? I'm saying that just like those cell families are so unique, that's what we see in the animal kingdom as okay, well. Okay, so did God just create a bunch of cells? And then, and then they, they well, become the different animal lineages? No, no the thing Are you is, using a red herring? Yes, no, it not. is a red herring. That's a reason why. Please. That's a, no, it's a red herring. That's a green not why. to do Kenhovenisms, okay? Yep. I mean, that's essentially <laughs> what like, older it's creationists believe, right? It, it, they believe that God maybe intervened and created it, life. And then wait, just I'm let sorry, it run saying, you know, They're saying that you don't have proof. That Noah had a bunch of cells. Yeah. We we don't have we don't have the, don't the, the archetype that begins. 
I don't know, cats or is it is or is it carnivore or is it phylloidea? Uh, Which what what where is the where is the root of all of these all of these clades? And she just said cells. Those are irrelevant questions relative to the problem of cells. Direct you don't have eukaryotic evolution. You don't if have evolution. Argue, I have put forward problems you have to solve as evolutionists if you're going to say it evolved. One sec, just to be sure that we hear argue each side. We'll break it into two minutes. Giraffes, well, we'll do for one example. minute responses. Go ahead, Aaron. One minute. If you're going to argue that cats buttons. and dogs Aaron, or giraffes or whatever, it. wherever the, the category is that you want to put the divider, if you want to say that there is a divider, you have to show me the justification for your claim. Where is it that the taxonomy closes down? So the specific thing is to look at Noah's Ark. What did Noah's Ark, what did Noah have on his Ark that was the archetype to begin what clade? I don't follow that question, but everybody knows there are different families and even you would say one of the the um categories is family yeah and we are in the ape family specifically we are in the the great ape family that's your opinion that's and not I, an opinion that's demonstrated there's fact. some it's been morphological and genetic similarities but there are that, some that, differences not just similarities that, that are lines. definitive that define us as great apes. And we are worse than that. We are in the, in the taxonomic superfamily of hominoidia, which is the larger classification of apes. That's a fact. That's not an opinion. So you want to show me where the taxonomy breaks down. Show me what Noah had on his arc. Give me, give me the archetypes. Look at, look at the cladogram for cats, the cladogram for dogs, the cladogram for whatever you want to look and see how far down it goes. And tell me, show me where the divider is. Show me where two things that scientists you. say, well, these two are related to the common answers here. And you'll say, no, that there's no, they're, they're independent creations. Show me where that happened. Apes and humans. Show we me. We are apes. Common ancestor that. We are apes. Show it to me. Bite, look it up. Google it. What is hominoid? Show me how an, how a cell turns into a monkey. You just change the question. You just change the question again. So well, again, we go back and cells turn into monkeys. What, hon? No, no one's claiming that cells turn into monkeys. What? That's what you believe. That's what the whole. No, you're not going to put a cell in a dish and then have a monkey jump out of it. That is not the claim. The claim no, is that there's been billions, billions of years of, years. of yeah. life on Earth. That for billions of those years, we had single-celled organisms where we don't have a fossil record of, but your what your table shows, the, the tree that you had from the Smithsonian, basically, if you look at the different branches, you get to the eukaryotic organisms and you have the three major branches, the fungi, the animals, and the plants. And they're just one long, little tiny branch off, if you look at the vast array of the single-cellular organisms that are out there. Now, this is getting way out of my specialty. Yeah. I'm... I'm a neuroscientist, I study animals, but I know that there's a huge range of genetic variability we can find across a wide range of unicellular organisms, billions of years allowing for, you know, an abiogenesis is a tough question. I'm not gonna say that it isn't. And it's also way outside of my, my field of expertise. However, we know that we can have change and mutation that leads to adaption and change that it can occur within animals. And we can look for in the fossil record of this genetic change, for instance. So we can look at, we have now the genome of Neanderthals. Do you believe Neanderthals were humans or were they apes? 
What is your opinion? Idea, can I, however, can I, can I, I get a word in? There's something Cindy, called stasis. Cindy, can I get whether, a word in? Yeah, I, yes. I, I need to. I need to correct what Chris just said. They're asking whether uh, Neanderthals were humans or apes. Is like asking whether a Corvette I'm is sorry. a Chevy You're right. non, or a car. I'm sorry, non-human apes, I should say. Yes, because I mean, human, Neanderthals were both humans and apes. Yes, I, and humans are humans and apes. I agree, and thank you for the correction. Yes, uh, were they were they human or were they a kind that are apes that were specially created? That's what I'm trying to ask. For me, okay. Well, all right, Cindy, can I get a word in? Can I get two minutes, James? Sure. Okay, I got my timer. Can I share my screen? please. This is a topoisomerase enzyme. It is homodimeric. I published on this enzyme. We estimate 60 some interface points to make this. This is difficult. I ask evolutionists how this evolved. They just give me these circularly reasoned phylogenetic explanations. It has nothing to do with taxonomy, but we would be dead without this. It also has to have reformatting and the nuclear localizations and a lot of other things in the prokaryote to eukaryote transition. There are other things with proteins that people seem to like not ignore. That's one of my co-authors published in Nature. And we'll skip this. We can talk about topisomerases. This is the phylog phylogeny. It's a mess. And I have one minute to go. One of the problems in Protein architecture is the fit. There needs to be proper charge distributions and shaping so we can get these induced fits. Delving into taxonomy doesn't solve this. I ask evolutionists all the time, how does this evolve? They say, we don't know. We have just a phylogenetic thing. It's a phase statement. And to say that somehow you look at the fossil record and you can claim these things, these com complex systems like this, like the EZH2 can evolve, that's a non sequitur. And until you can answer that, that's good to, yeah. you have a faith statement. That is not science. Thank you. Uh, okay, very, I appreciate your passion for the cell. Um, I am no, I am not an expert in topoisomerase for sure. However, I did a little bit of looking into topoisomerase. I'd like to share my screen if I could. Uh, one second here. I also have to add that if we say that we don't know something, that's not a faith statement. Not having the answer, but saying that you do have the answer, that's the definition of a faith statement. So Sal saying that he knows that was a God, or that he has reason to believe that that's a God, that's a faith statement. That's not what we're doing. I asked him a question he refuses to answer, so he needs to change the subject. So this is, we've touched on model organisms. I made up a, a, a I, based on this link below, kind of added to it and changed it a little bit. I made this phylogeny, um, uh, you know, myself, um, sort of stealing some of the things and elements from this link below. Um, and this is illustrating some of the, uh, what we know to be the, um, the, the, the last point when there was a common ancestor between humans and chimps was around 10 million years ago, probably a little bit less than that. For humans and mice, around 90 million years ago, chicken and frog and zebrafish, much older, hundreds of millions of years ago. And then you get into the invertebrates where genetic difference as well as uh, other things, you know, around 990 million years ago, billion years ago, before the Cambrian explosion. 
Now, what we know is that organization of like 450 million years ago, we don't find humans in those fossil records. But the other thing is that we see sorting of genes as we go through. And anyone can do this. Anyone can go and look. So you can go and use certain resources that are available from uh, um, the NCBI database. And Sal, I'm sure you're more than familiar with this. You can do a BLAST search. So this is topoisomerase 1. I know you were showing us topoisomerase 2. Uh, but this is topoisomerase 1, where I blasted the sequence of the human topoisomerase to pantroglodotes, which is the chimp. And lo and behold, it's 100% identical. No difference whatsoever. And here's the sequence. You can see this is the human version. All these little letters represent different amino acids. And then here's the chimp version. 100% similar. Now, when you go to a different animal model, the mouse, now we start to see differences. We see substitutions. We see insertions. As Sal pointed out, topoisomerase is pretty important, does important functions in the cell, but we're seeing mutations and differences that occur. As you go down in phylogenetics, now we see additional differences. Now we're comparing humans to chicken and even more substitutions and insertions and deletions. You get to something like the fruit fly, now we have a huge range of insertions and deletions. And of course, what if you can go through, and anyone can do this, you pick your favorite gene. You can go to the NCBI database, type in NCBI gene, type in a gene that you like. You can find the human one. That's usually the first one that shows up. And then it'll say run blast. And you can run it. And that blast means that you can choose to compare that gene to thousands of other genomes. And you can compare it to a chimp genome, then compare it to the frog genome, my, you know, one of my favorite animals since I work with it. And what you'll see is that percent identity of human genes to, say, chimps is going to be quite high. When you get to mice, it's less. Then chickens, it's less. And frogs and zebrafish, it's less. Because we know, and this is going to be the con consistent pattern that you're going to find, not only with other genes, but also topoisomerase. It's the same thing. And so if this is something that's so like specially created, that's so critical, why is it that the amino acid sequence can be as much as, you know, over 35% different between humans and the roundworm and have it still work? I have the answer. Shouldn't to it that. just be plug yeah. and play, right? And why do we even have any differences? Actually, it's not plug and play. Okay. We, we found, by the way, uh, if you'll indulge me, Dr. Chris, sure. scholarly discussion. Thank you yes. very much for looking into that. Uh -huh. uh, I would, I'll confirm for the audience what Dr. Chris presented is what I see as well. So he's an excellent scientist. I earlier mentioned the, the uh, direct coupling analysis. The differences between creatures um, enables us to do this protein fold prediction. It's a testable prediction if you remove some of the sets who are not able to do it that indicate design. Now the specialty, we can take human topoisomerase, put it in yeast, topoisomerase 2 alpha, beta, put it in yeast. You cannot do the reverse. We didn't actually do an experiment. We went from a yeast to a mouse, thing died. The reason is that there are post-translational modifications on the C-terminal domain that are optimized for the multicellularity and the complexity of the human. So you ask why there are differences. In some cases, it's very species specific. You will see like on the C-terminal domain, maybe 50 more locations for post-translational modifications, you'd only get maybe five to 10 on the yeast. So there is, for organisms that are not very complex, there's a lot of toleration for variability. Also, just because you have a phylogenetic diagram does not imply that it evolved because 
without the topoisomerase, one is dead. The other thing is when one is going from the bacterial gyrase form to like the eukaryotic form, it has to go from a hetero uh, tetrameric form to a homodimeric, and then their nuclear localizations need to be inserted. These things are like fatal in the process of the evolutionary transition. Just because we have all these fossils and taxonomies, I'm not trying to say I'm changing the subject because I want to avoid it. I'm just saying it's moot. It doesn't solve this problem. And you can accept that it happened, but you can't do so based on any direct evidence except phylogeny or belief in evolution. Right. Therefore, so, it's a faith belief. No, Sal, I I'm I didn't show any unicellular topoisomerase there. Yes. This okay. is all multicellular. So why are there these differences amongst multicellular organisms? If there's just a designer, like you're not gonna find uh, designers that if you go to a factory, they're not going to create new types of little no, I'll, I'll like things to put into each like computer. If you go, if you're designing could be computers, exper you're experimental evidence, you put it in, right? Yeah, go ahead. Apologies, Dr. Thompson. That's fine. I just wanted to say we have experimental evidence. It has to do with the post-translational modifications. There's some slight things with hydropathic properties that are optimized for the creature. There was someone I forgot his name. He, he published on that. So there are some optimizations there, but also I have been studying the post-translational modifications. The difference in amino acids, like the residues for like serine and threonine, will enable different uh, phosphorylization states that will change the conformation of the C-terminal domain, and that may be cell type specific in the way it works. So it's a good question. We know humans are particularly sensitive to changes. That's why you could take a human topoisomerase, dump it in a yeast, the yeast lives. You can't go the reverse. And in fact, the differences even happen in the paralogs of topoisomerase, even in the same human genome. We have the alpha and beta isoforms. And we were wondering, why do we have two? Well, we knock out one, there's sickness. So we have experimental I, evidence to address some of your claims, not all of them. By the way, thank you again. I didn't mean to interrupt you. My no, sincere no, apologies. Yeah, yeah. I, I still want to know, I mean, did uh, did Noah have every species of dog and every species of bovid and all of that on his ark, or, or did he have like archetypes and then you have other species evolve from that archetype? I think I like your answer, Aaron. You thought... Aaron. I'm, I'm very sorry. You're a cattle sir. prod, Aaron. It's, it's just that I thought of that name. I'm so sorry. I, I'm not trying to. No worries. But, but so you accept, I, do you I, accept wolf, that, or do you, do you believe that Noah had every species that exists today? No. Or did he have archetypes, which then evolved into the different species we have today? I believe, can't prove, but I think the, when you were in the debate with Charles Jackson and he pointed out the wolf-like ancestry, I agree with that. Okay. So I, you I, accept I, evolution happens. Not from a single cell. change. I, I, I accept that definition of change okay, happens. So you accept then... macroevolution by definition, the, the emergence of new species at or above the species level, including the genus level and sometimes even the family level, according to Kent Hovind. I never thought of it. Okay. So you accept because I don't like, I don't like the it's definition. Not just a there belief. Are, I'll tell you why. Okay. If but I may. you accept that evolution happens mm -hmm. and that it's not just a belief. I, I I accept that I accept that some evolution is happens, but it doesn't explain all all the features of life. 
I will we, say can go, that, we can go back past to the formation of life, back to the, the formation of the properties that you want to argue for. But we're talking about evolution today. That's the purpose of the debate. So I just want to get a concession. You accept that evolution happened. So now let's talk about the creationist argument on Noah's Ark. If he didn't have all of the different species, then he had archetypes for the beginnings of the different species. And the creationist argument is that all of taxonomy is correct, but only at the only at the surface. And then they want to cut off uh, some 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 little roots for archetypes. If you're going to make Three. an argument that there was a creator, and then you have to come up with the origins of these archetypes. You can't avoid that. The only no. thing you've come up with so far is that God made cells, but that means that everything from the cell on evolved. If you want to do, if you want to talk about evolution. Or if you want to say that there is no evolution, then you have to show where the creation began. Well, you, you can't say there's no evolution. You have to accept that the evolution was at some point. Evolution is a given. We both accept that evolution happens. But you're going to con you're going to contest that God made some of these and some of these. Well, some of what? Where is the point that He created things? That's a very good question. And my answer is: I gave examples: nuclear localization signals, chromatids. So cell formation. No, cell so parts, specific cells, cell parts, specific and cell parts. And I, I gave I gave probabilistic reasons why it had to be there because it's so going to be dead the if question it's not there. I'm sorry. So did did Noah have a bunch of cells on his ark, or did he have different types of animals that were created by your God? I don't know, and I don't think I need to answer it to believe that God. I knew made... you didn't think he would answer. Remember when I said so many times that this is the creationist argument they have there to answer, but will not. It's ridiculous to say that we believe cells were on the ark, okay? That's insulting. Then quit saying it. You're busted. Quit saying it. <laughs> I didn't. If you don't want me to make fun of you for it. repeating it, quit repeating it. No, sir. So what is the what archetype? Is what, is the, what, it, what did Noah have? So let's look at the taxonomy of any given animal you like and see how closely related they are. Like what I brought up with, with, with Jackson, right? You, you, you accept that, that wolves and dogs are related, right? Evolution, right? You get that? Domestic dogs and wolves, you accept that they're evolutionarily related, right? I don't know. I wasn't there. It seems to me like there's a big difference between a domestic dog and a wolf. Okay. It seems to you. What what kind right. of evidence would determine whether something was, was related by evolution or not? What you're trying to do is make me do really specific when I'm trying to do broad. I I'm know. Tr you're trying to avoid the detail because that's where the devil is. I'm trying to say that the tree that Sal put up from the Smithsonian, where all the diversity we see today came from a single cell, is ludicrous. Okay. I don't think it happened. Do you accept? Special you accept creation of each of the individual kinds. Okay. Do you accept that Noah, or do you believe that Noah had all modern species on the ark or that he had archetypes that then evolved into all the modern species? I have not contemplated that question, nor do I think it's really relevant. It's, it's immediately pertinent. It is your claim. If you're arguing that evolution didn't happen, you're either saying, and you've said over and over and over again, that, that cells, that God made cells. No, that I didn't explain, say that, honey. That you said that, I said that. We know that at some point, that there's evolutionary ancestry. You accept that, or you don't, but, but Sal does. Sal accepts that there's an evolutionary ancestry. Your ex-husband accepted that there was an evolutionary ancestry. He just refused to say where it stops. And he wouldn't look at the details because he knows that's where the devil is. 
Well, even if you do the wolf dog thing, that's still canine. It's not related to feline. What if you go further? Be created. So I'm. What if you go further? Tree. It's an orchard. Right. Where is the Where is the root of the orchard? It doesn't matter. It matters entirely. It is your argument. It's what your argument is. The crux of what your argument is based on. If you want to say that God created cells, okay, fine. God created cells, and from there they all evolved into everything. Stop saying that. I said it when I didn't. You said it over and over again. If you if you don't want to say that, quit repeating it. But you but what what is the the definition then? What things did you accept? Will are eleven are evidently related by evolution, and and where is the the cutoff? That's your argument. You have to to say where that is. I don't need to know that for me personally. Then why are you are why are you in a debate on that topic? We're in a debate about evolution or creation. Right. And you're, you're refusing to you're refusing to even understand your own cell. side of this argument. We're the you agree with the Smithsonian uh tree that Sal put up? Is that your belief? I don't have a belief in this case. I have what we can demonstrate. Call it what you truth. will. Uh, okay. That I'm saying, I thought that's what the debate was. Either that happened or special creation happened, which you call abracadabra. I call it let there be. Okay. So let, let's let's say that there's a let there be. And that, that God comes out of whatever and goes abracadabra, I create as I speak, and poof, you have cells. No. And those, those cells evolve. Especially created kinds. And then those cells evolve. And now Noah don't has. don't believe that. So, so Noah doesn't or does have cells on his on his ark. What is it? Like I said, Aaron, I never said that. You said I said that. So there, did 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 Noah have all of the modern alone. species? Did Noah have all of the modern species on his ark? I would like to get off this uh, dead okay. horse. Then don't don't you get into a debate really on evolution if you're not prepared say. to talk about what no. evolution is. If I may get a word in just briefly, Cindy, that's all right. Um, for, for you, for the, if it began, as Cindy said, it came from a single cell. And if that cell is prokaryotic, it's going to have to split off into eukaryote. I described all the problems that haven't been solved, and they are gigantic. Okay, I'm not so just the one who said this. Then. These are evolutionary, top evolutionary biologists recognize this is a serious problem. So, so I mean, we can just no wave one... it away and say that we're dodging the issue, but I showed a major problem. So we could at least say one member of the eukaryotes, one member of the prokaryotes had to be created. There's at least a divide there. There's at least one created kind of each. And if you want to go further, you can subdivide it, but it's irrelevant to the question of what Cindy pointed out. Do you believe that it comes from a single cell? I gave reasons that have to be explained if you're going to believe it. And right now, Right now, it's just a faith belief on your part. You have not have explained all the mechanistic details that are very serious that you can add probabilities to. You can actually look at the molecules. I tried to show that. If you want to ignore it, I'm that's not ign- fine. I'm not the one ignoring everything. You are. You have said many times you don't have to answer the question that you are ignoring. That is the thing you are ignoring. So you're saying that Noah just had, what, uh, ichthyostega on board this ark, and that's it, and just all tetrapods evolve from that? Or is there something a little bit more precise than that? Straw man. 
Noah didn't have every modern species. If some of those modern species evolved, then how far back does it go? Do we go all the way back to the root of all tetrapods? I don't or have to answer that question. If yes, I believe do. that eukaryotes and prokaryotes were independently created, I gave good reasons which why. A, and I don't need to answer about Noah. There are people that may not even believe in Noah's Ark and are creationists of some variety. Sure, but we, you guys have already said that, I'm, okay, I guess, do you believe that there was a flood, Sal? I personally believe it. I cannot defend it as I have defended some of the other things here. Okay, why do you believe it then? Because I think enough, oh, that's a really good question. I believe it because as I've studied the evidence more and more aligns with the Bible, I've seen a trend over 40 years as I've watched the creation evolution controversy. And as I've watched it, developed, the trend has been favorable more toward the young earth view. So kind of just by way of extrapolation, and that's a faith statement, that I, I, I'm tending to believe it more literally. And I see that stronger each day, especially now because of the genetic entropy argument. I don't think humanity has long to live. I think humanity has been recent. That confirms the genealogy of Jesus Christ, central to the Christian faith. And therefore, that genealogy interpreted literally would suggest to me the earth is young. So, yeah. I have now started to study heavy electron quasi particles. I think radiometric dating could be flawed and I'm excited about where this could go in the next 10, 20 years. That's a faith statement. I admit it's a faith statement. I don't pretend that part of young earth creationism is primetime science. Well then don't project your faith onto me either because I don't have a faith statement. So I can show actual facts that are positively indicative of evolution and exclusively concordant with evolution and that contradict creationism. Can you show any actual fact that we both accept is an actual fact, something that we can both verify to be true, that is also indicative of the creationist position? I'd like to say, Aaron, that you have stated repeatedly that those things are true, that what that things are true? Full evolution is demonstrable and that creation is falsified. Do you not accept that? You the have dog not shown you, either. You, you do accept. Well, Sal accepts that all the canids are related by evolution, right? Whether you that do doesn't not. mean the canids yes. are related to the plants. I'll give, you testable, I'll give you two testable predictions. Before you do that, I, I just want to give you all a two-minute heads up, and then we've got to go to the Q&A. Okay. Two testable predictions. The human genome is going to continue to de deteriorate. We won't last long as a species. Also, the geomagnetic field, you can actually look it up at Wikipedia. It's predicted to be gone in 1,600 years. That would be suggestive that it hasn't been around that long. Civilization will end. And uh, that okay, is suggestive so of the young Earth. That is suggestive. These are testable predictions. We may not see it in our lifetime, but civilization will see these born out. And um, but the it's answer kind of sad, question. and that's one of the reasons, just to answer Dr. Chris, that's one of the reasons I believe this. I had a famous geneticist go from atheist to creationist. A lot of billions of people saved by his invention. He studied the genetic entropy hypothesis. I, I, I strongly agree with okay, so, his concerns. I, it does okay. not square with evolution. It squares with a young earth creation, that young life creation that happened recently. Our genomes are decaying. I had lots of papers here. If you wanted to actually converse I have so much evidence that our genomes are decaying, not consistent with gradual evolution or improvement as Darwin had supposed. Can you show got, me you an so. actual fact 
that we can verify to be true that is also indicative of the creationist position? That was the question. I gave you two right there. If it's you if gave you you gave me a prediction, just wait sixteen hundred years to see if you're right. We we have evidence of the geomagnetic field already declining substantially in the and last twenty years. That Direct measurement. Your position. I tried to explain. Well, you've got to extrapolate go that. And well, anyway, I'll let you go ahead and ask. I you know, so uh, go ahead, James. I'll. Be quiet. If Cindy, if you want to talk, go ahead. You can make We've, some closing. I, I, we have got about eight seconds, and then we've got to go into the Q&A, because we do have to quick rush through a lot of questions as we want to go through these as fast as possible. It was just such a good discussion that I didn't want to interrupt it. But I want to say thank you very much for your questions, folks. We're going to jump right into these. This one coming in from Do Appreciate Your Question. This one from Fernandez T says, We cannot prove there is a God. If we could, it wouldn't be faith. Christians require faith, and don't ask us to explain it. Either you have eyes to see or not. Any responses from anyone on the panel? Yes, please. I wanted to state that earlier when Arne was talking about a similar situation. My faith isn't... My faith in God came when I realized that God came to earth and showed his face, wrote a book, and talked to us. And he proved it by healing the sick and raising from the dead. None of which actually happened. In this, your opinion. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question as well. Deej says, John Wick bent that pencil. I don't get the joke. Cameron Hall says, can the creationist give an explanation for the human chromosome number two fusion proving our ancestry with all the other apes no there's a, there's a dispute even among creationists whether fusion actually happened or not so you'll get answers from both sides charles jackson thinks it probably fused so um sorry that's the best thank you for the super chat and everything you got it. And one last thing is we usually do a topic or a poll topic of subtopics that we ask the audience, what do you most want to see the audience, or I should say the guests, discuss before we wrap up? The number one thing was transitional fossils. So we're going to jump back into the Q&A, but I do want to give a chance because I forgot to do this before the Q&A, is transitional fossils, any thoughts? Maybe we take five minutes just to talk about this really quick because we do want to honor this subtopic selection poll from the audience. Transitional fossils, thoughts. In about five yes. minutes. Uh, creationists are divided on this. I actually I argue vigorously there are transitional fossils in the sense of architectures, just like you can say transitions in cars. But what you can't have is transitional protein parts in the major families. I demonstrated that rather forcefully tonight. And by the way, other evolutionary biologists will back me on that, surprisingly. So you don't have like you don't have like a common ancestor to the parts of a car like the the piston. The gas, you know, the gas, the gas can, the uh, the spark plug, etc. But you can kind of build a phylogeny transitioning from primitive cars to the modern day ones. And, and likewise, I would say that we do see a progression from simple forms morphologically to more complex. And there's kind of a nice transition. Uh, so creationists are divided on this. So it depends on which one will say. Creation Ministries International have said of the arguments not to use as a creationist is don't say there are no transitionals. Just dump the topic altogether. You got it. Arne and Dr. Thompson, any? Sure. Uh, yeah, in my book, Foundational Falsehoods of Creationism, I gave a list of some 400 transitions according to the strictest definition of that term. 
And we know of now, well, that was just within vertebrates and that just within vertebrates, we'd actually have knowledge of thousands of transitions. And these are all consistent, not just, you know, morphologically transitional and genetically transitional in many cases, but, you know, they're also chronologically appropriate. They're in the right places in the fossil record. You got it. Absolutely. Yeah. If I could add to that. So, uh, you know, Aaron's 100% correct. We have hundreds of different examples of transitional fossils. You mentioned one of the more famous ones, Ichthyostega, which we've got a few, several different kinds of, uh, of specimens that have been identified. Uh, this is, it's called Ichthyostega because it got that name because it looks like a fish kind of, but it also has legs. And we have examples of this and, and aren't you have your question about like, was this also on Noah's Ark? It's a very important question because we, you have to, you have to make what we know about the fossil record and biogeography work with your model, with your mechanism. It's not enough to just punch holes into the fact that we don't have great explanations for how certain protein families evolve from other protein families. You're asking for something that happened way, way, way in the past for which we don't have any fossil record for. We could talk about evolution of certain proteins though as well, then how they infect um, morphology. And we can even look at genetics in fossils like Neanderthals, which is, you know, a very sort of minor transitional fossil between humans and a common ancestor that we had with the other great apes. But there are lots of examples of hominid evolution um, and, and transitional fossils as well. You look at the Australopithecines, those animals had a pelvis that indicated that they had upright um, bipedal locomotion, but they had a brain case that was incredibly small. And as you look at more and more recent rocks, well, two million years ago, one million years ago, you see the evolution. Well, we see the emergence of now the genus Homo, that now we have larger brain case and still upright bipedalism. You have to have some kind of explanation for what was Australopithecus africanus. Was that an animal? Was that a human? Was that an ape? Uh, it's bipedal. Was it on the? Was it on Noah's Ark? That's another important point that's just not being addressed whatsoever. You got it. Any thoughts, Cindy, before we jump in back, back into the Q&A? Yes, but I lost what it was. I think of it, I'll bring it back up. You got it. And this question coming in from Cameron Hall says, can the creationist... Got that one. Sunflower says, Aaron Sal made several points about specific topics in evolutionary biology and physics. Let's see. Mr. This one, it just, uh, we're looking for substantive questions, folks. That one looked like it was at first, but then Mr. Monster says all mammals are related. Fact, all vertebrates are related. Fact, can you debunk these facts? Creationists. Can you prove Yes, if the earth is young, they are separate special creations. As we said, there will not be enough time for evolution. I gave testable predictions that would be consistent with that. We'll see in time. I would also predict that radiometric dating is going to be shown to be incorrect or unreliable. Yeah, I got to bring up that you know, whenever creationists come up with a testable thing like a prediction, you know, when they, they say that there's never going to be a purpose for a half a wing and then we discover lots of purposes for half a wing and we're never going to find a fossil of an animal that has half a wing and then we find a bunch of fossils that for dinosaurs that had half wings and they just every time they make these predictions, you're never going to find a transitional species. Yeah, well, here they are. You're never going to find a fish with feet. Well, here's a bunch of them. Just all I don't see any slides, Aaron. I don't what? see any slides. You don't see what? 
any slides. I would I, be happy to show you everything you're saying because I, I tried to I tried to invite you and I mean this sincerely. I want to help you because I know that you've lived in this dark place. You don't even know that it's dark, but let well, me. It's way darker than you realize. It's way darker than any of us realize. I'll just I'll just allow that to be true because I, I, I'm afraid you're right. So, but let me, let me help you understand this topic because it will not take long for me to show you this topic so that you will understand it. I would like a, just a chance, like I said. Dapper just a, Dino spent six hours on the phone with me and he ended up pulling his hair out. <laughs> you are not beyond help. I said, I'll give you a limit. I'll give you a limit. Two dozen mutual exchanges. I will show you everything you need to know. This one coming in from. Will you also listen? Because I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be convinced. Bubblegum. Sure. Go, Go ahead, James. Bubblegum Gun says, Dr. Thompson, can you please name me one single intermediate between the gray wolf and the Dalmatian dog? Or are the intermediates simply abstract data to fill in the gaps? That's a great question. Mm. Yeah, so... Okay, is that Cindy's question? If he can't, I can. I'm mocking. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm happy to let Aaron uh, fill in some of the gaps of what I'm going to be talking about. But um, the, you know, the thing is, uh, there's been artificial selection for dogs. And it's something that actually is relatively rapid. And we know that it, when you do artificial selection, this is something that you can, you can induce enormous change within just a handful of generations. So there's a great experiment that was done by Dmitry Belayev, a Russian scientist in, in, in uh, Siberia in the, in the 1950s going up till today of uh, doing selection for tameness in wild foxes. And within 20 generations, he was able to get a line of foxes that are essentially like little dogs and with emergence of traits that he didn't even select for, such as uh, floppy ears, and piebald coloration and curly tails, all he was selecting is for tameness. And so, you you know, you can imagine that you're not going to have fossilization occur for just 20 generations. So you we're going to find gaps, like very, when you're talking about very small differences between, say, wolves and dogs. But, you know, Arm, perhaps you can fill that in because I know you know quite a bit about this topic. Well, on the, on the evolution of dogs, I mean, they were looking for the specific sub, or they're looking for the specific breed of Dalmatian. And what you have to identify is that we know that domestic dogs come out of us out of four different genetic strains from Asiatic wolves. I'm not sure which uh, which of the strains the genetic the the Dalmatian is on, but we can identify which strain that is. I mean, I'd have to look for you know we'd have to look at the genetic study for it, right. but we can identify which strains the Dalmatians are on. I can't remember if off the top of my head whether they're what what are right. they terriers or whatever. Of, I don't know. There's a ton but of we, information on there on the Dog Genome Project. You can look this up. There's but you're, you're not going to go direct. You're not. My, my point is you're not going to go direct to Dalmatians because no. there's a lot of intermediate studies. It's like it's like you don't ever go from from wolf to dachshund, but you could go from wolf to to wolfhound to bloodhound to basset hound to dachshund. You know, something like that where these, you have these gradation steps. But what you're going to have to trace is not the fossils in this case, it's the genome. And in the genome, so uh, that emerged out of that dog genome project, we know that there are these small breeds and they identified the gene that was modified, that uh, there's a mutation that arose and that allowed for small breeds. And it's essentially related to dwarfism. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. 
Deej says, do evolutionists believe we evolved from pond scum, as some particular individual says sometimes? I, I would never refer to my forefathers as scum. Uh, I have much more respect for them. So pond... I also... I also don't consider what, what 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 Sal had mentioned before about prokaryotes and and eukaryotes. The transition between prokaryotes and eukaryotes is not an evolutionary transition. I mean, endosymbiosis may have been accepted in the modern evolutionary synthesis, but it is not because of because of the horizontal gene transfer. It doesn't, to me, qualify as an ancestor descendant relationship, and therefore doesn't meet the definition of descent with inherent modification. You have to have an ancestor descendant relationship in order for it to be evolution. And if you don't have an ancestor-descendant relationship, you have special creation. This one from uh, hoofed out of nothing. <laughs> no. This one from G-Man's, let's see, Brandon G-Man? <laughs> no, oh, I have a question. <laughs> it was a fake username. They said G-Man's okay. manager. <laughs> Go ahead, uh, Cindy. Okay. The whole select, the whole... Um, dog thing okay you can select certain genes to make certain kinds of dogs but in the selection pool there is certain options not available until there's mutation to produce them but can you have a dog mutation that's going to make something different than a dog like once again, I, I told you that the, the laws of evolution include the law of biodiversity and the law of monophyly, neither of which allows a descendant to be to grow out of its ancestry. You still belong to all of the ancestral clades that your parents did. Even if you start a new clade to which they don't belong, you still belong to everything. You are still everything that they were. I've heard that argument before. It doesn't uh, answer the question for me. There's still a, a pool of selection, a, a pool of genes available in the dog gene pool that is never going to give you a rat tail or a platypus nose or any other thing. There that... are mutations that could do those things. I mean, you can have mutations and then you can select for those unique mutations when they occur. Mutations are the source of new genetic information. But just because you have a dog with a rat tail or a platypus nose doesn't mean it's no longer a dog. The law of monophyly means it still belongs to all of those ancestral clades. It doesn't, it doesn't stop being what its parents were. But a nose of a platypus is... Would be a dog with the nose of a, a platypus. It's, it's, it's like a complete system. The platypus is a complete system. They're all does it? Are you saying that a dog should turn into a platypus or a dog would have a platypus nose? I'm saying evolution isn't possible because of the limited selection in the gene pool. What you're saying is evolution isn't possible because an evolution doesn't do what it's impossible for evolution to do, which is to turn a dog into a non-dog. Because, I'm sorry, your husband was always wrong about this. All the millions of times he repeated that lie, it was always wrong. <laughs> there was never, never in evolutionary history, never ever in evolutionary history did one kind of thing ever turn into or, uh, or give birth to another a fundamentally different kind of thing. Never well, then happened. that Smithsonian tree is wrong. 
No, the Smithsonian tree is correct because it doesn't say that. We must the jump. Two it are never has exclusive. anything turning into no a fundamentally sense. different kind of thing that its ancestors were. Just to get through more questions from the audience, this one coming in from Victor Hallock says, "For creationists, do you believe that protecting our children is the most important thing we need to do as adults? How can you justify teaching them that these quote unquote stories are real and harm them?" We would say the same thing about evolutionists. Except that we have we can show that evolution is true. You can't show fact one for creationism. Okay, I can show you that we can We would say evolution. the same thing about I can you. show you how we can trace evolution. You can't show there's any truth at all to creationism. None. You just said that you can't show that the Smithsonian tree is true. I just said that what the Smithsonian tree says is not what you said it does. It never says that one thing turned into another fundamentally different kind of thing. That never just, happened. We just to go back to their question. Uh, if I, if I may Hallock, answer that, can I answer that question from the one from the audience? Yes. Yes. How can I justify it? Because there's no salvation in evolutionism. There is salvation in Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as evolutionism. This one from Anton Gomez says, question for the Yes Evolution team. A creationist told me the immune system is irreducibly complex. Is this true? No. This one from Pocket Locker E6 says, hi, Brother Sal. I really enjoyed your performance tonight. Oh, I hope we can chat soon. You were right. I need a hug. Hope you're doing well. And Melody Kate says, humans believe their God created animals to be humans' slaves, to be dissected and eaten. Are humans God's creatures he can torture and destroy to practice his desire to murder with? God doesn't have a desire to murder. He's got a good point, Sal. Uh, there's this book called the Bible that contradicts that idea an awful lot. He judges evil. And then demands the death he penalty exposed... for everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Including, right. he even demands that you get an abortion if you suspect that your wife you, that you suspect your wife has cheated on you. That you should force her to have an abortion against her will. That's in Numbers five, and and just all, and in Numbers thirty one, it says you can take preteen children and slaughter their families and keep the little girls as if your own personal sex slaves. There's all kinds of things wrong in the Bible. Aaron, that is not characteristic of the God of the Bible. I have not. Read it's that. not the guy who said that that female slaves are half price of male slaves. That's not characteristic. I'm sorry. This no. is a different topic. We can argue religion at some other time. I just want to bring up something else. Sal and Cindy both agreed that new species do evolve. So there are there are comments in the chat that said that I showed no facts. Well, he, we we have an agreement. They evolve. Species evolve I don't by I means did. of natural selection. Exactly what Darwin said. They accept that evolution happens. I don't. I don't you, believe you can I did. call it. You, you can call it microevolution, but that would be incorrect because it's the origin of new species. That's macroevolution by definition. So you don't get to just say that it's micro, but then you don't get to show that there's micro creation either because there's you got nothing. Where's the creation? I can demonstrate evolution. Demonstrate creation for me. This one coming in from do appreciate it. Hates stairs says excellent debate other than mispronouncing Appalachia. I don't remember. Victor Halleck says, Aaron, uh, Ron Wyatt and Bob Cornuk proved Noah's flood happened. Checkmate. I don't know what they're referring to. Does this I have an eight-part series proving that Noah's flood didn't happen. You can look it up on my channel. You got this one from Spartan Theology. says, 
LOL should debate Jay Bundy. Who should debate Jay Bundy? I think he's referring to me. Uh, We have a long history. His team was competing with mine. My team was Michael Behe, Robert Parks, and William Dembski. His was Linsky, Pennock, and Adami. So this 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 is like a 15-year history. You got it. And this one coming in from, do appreciate it. Pocket Locker says, James, I should debate Sal next. He is afraid of me. All right. Samir says, behavior is not passed on in DNA. How do you explain orphan dogs know to bury his bones for later retrieval, if not information loaded outside of DNA? There's a ton of things like that. There is a ton of things not explained by chemical chemistry or DNA. How come your is when you're crying? How come your dog comes up to you? Hmm? It comes up to you when you're crying. I mean, you, if you have a relation, so dogs are social creatures, so are humans and dogs will have a sensitivity of the emotions of the people that they live with. They see us as part of their pack. Um, It's not surprising to find social creatures will have certain empathetic and affiliative behaviors um, that sort of mimic and um, I, are you saying that there's something like magic there? I'm saying there's something that's not physical. Not physical. You're so talking what, to what a neuroscientist, right? You understand that. You're, you're telling you're telling a neuroscientist that behaviors are not genetic. They're that they're not physical or rooted in the brain somehow. Yeah, because so, no, the brain is a physical to- organ. Not not to make not to say anything about my 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 partner today, but I've talked to a number of other neuroscientists and some neurophilosophers as well, some famous ones, and the message that I've gotten consistently from them is that there is no support for mind-body dualism, neither in neuroscience nor even in philosophy. The thing you're arguing for is unsupported. What is survival of the fittest? If you're going to love something so much that you would sacrifice yourself. We have kin selection to explain that. There's an entire field uh, going back 40 years explaining how uh, uh, organisms that are related to each other um, sacrifice themselves for others. I mean, that's the entire explanation of why we have hymenoptera, which are the bees, ants, and wasps, on why they have these eusocial organization systems. And it's because they have a very odd genetic organization where the individuals, the females, are 75% related to each other. So they're more related to each other than they are to their own queen. And therefore it's an excellent explanation for why, why they would sacrifice themselves and not mate themselves and just be taking care of the offspring of a of an organism that they're only 50% related to, which is the queen. It's because the offspring to humans oh, to or dogs or cats. I know we got to move on. Yes, it but, does. Yeah. And, and there's a quite a famous book that was written to explain that very thing. And it's called the selfish gene. This is going to be in from do appreciate it. Alan Bupree says, Sal, what is your plan to convince the scientific consensus regarding your positions? I, I don't have one because they'll make up their mind. Uh, I think the best thing is to have experiments that will start to change. I'm grateful that we've been able to break a little bit of the peer review uh, barrier. We couldn't go through biology. We had to go through things like mathematical biology. I don't uh, think you broke that. And I'm I'm sorry. Uh, Anyway, you guys can look up uh, my publication in a Springer reference. 
on population genetics. But going back, I would emphasize experiments and observations because we're finding that um, with Dar the way Darwin formulated natural selection is not working at all. It tends to reduce versatility. There's a 2017 paper by Couchy and Lenski that the genome fitness, in the fitness of the creatures increase while the genome decays. That is standard. Selection pressure reduces versatility, therefore complexity. It does not build organs of extreme perfection and complication if we're just willing to extrapolate that. That's gonna be brutally obvious. Also, a testable prediction is the human genome will continue to decay. We will not account for it unless we're willing to sacrifice evolutionary theory. Sadly, that's how we're gonna be persuaded as civilization starts to die. Thank you. However, I, I have to say that every time without fail, absolutely every single time, a creationist has ever said, there's a study that says this, when you read it, it doesn't say that. So provide your citation, I'd be happy to read it. But I'll tell you that in 1600 years, evolution is still gonna be dominant and creationism won't exist, not your version of it anyway. This is coming in from, do appreciate your question. God servant says, keep up the good work. Modern day debate, thanks for your kind words. Says, Arn Ra, why did we evolve, quote, singing? I think they mean the, the behavior of singing. And it says, God bless friend. And Acts 2.38. Give you a chance to respond, Aaron, in terms of singing, where the behavior singing evolved. There's a handful of social animals that have developed similar patterns, and it, that is the social aspect. I mean, there's certainly a number of birds we can expect that dinosaurs probably did that too, the non-avian ones. We know that, uh, that, what are the other animals? There are some other animals that, that bob to music and and <laughs> make, oh, there's a number of insects. Or something. There were, again, social cues for it. So I'm going to say that it's a social interaction for a number of reasons and not just to express a happy mood. Uh, if I could add to that. Um, so this actually is right along my area of expertise. I can go on for hours talking about this. Um, singing is something that we see in animals and particularly we see it in three different groups of birds. We see it in songbirds. That's why they're called songbirds. We also can see vocalization learning in parrots. We also see it in hummingbirds. And it turns out that they have a very common basic overall brain morphology shown here. And here's the link to the or the uh, citation for this paper that I took this from. Um, we have a, a, a nice uh, discrete circuit that actually superficially seems to um, to maybe be irreducibly complex. You, you destroy any one of these areas that it's going to just break apart. But in fact, we know that these areas are just the same basic areas that we find in all animals. It's just that these have become specialized for singing. And we have good explanations of the genetic changes that actually arouse for this. And, and it, these are three different animals that are not heritable. They're, they're obviously all birds, but they are separate evolution of the same kind of system. You got it. Thank you very much for this question as well. From Stupid Horror Energy Strikes Again says for Sal, if Topo families, uh, she had submitted a second one. I know she said she corrected it. She says you don't need Topo. Let me know if I pronounce this right. Topo Isomeris. Thank you very much. You don't need Topo Isomeris if the DNA is in a short, non-circular strand as there will be no twisting strain to remove. Oh, well, thank you for that information, Miss Energy. Nice to see you again. I, I don't object to what you had to say. Also says for Sal, if topoamorase 
families evolved independently in ancestral lineages of viruses, we predict that some were never transferred to cells and remain to be discovered. Topo Amaris, V of oh boy, M, thank you. V of M, Candelary is such a viral specific enzyme. The problem is we don't know the origin of viruses. There's a cellular theory of the origin of viruses. So these could still have cellular origin. Um, so you can, I know a virologist that says we don't really know if viruses came before cells. We think they came from cells. So it may actually have ultimately a cellular origin. And by the way, it's great to see you again, stupid whore. My favorite. This one from YouTube <laughs> Punk says, Sal, when are you and when are you going to debate Jay Bundy, Myron, bless you, James, a.k.a. Swole Lincoln. Thank you for that. But Sal, who is this Jay Bundy fellow? Is this one of your buddies? No, he's uh, like I said, he was on a team that was in opposition to my team, uh, two competing university uh, viewpoints. And uh, so why don't we try to set it up? Bro, um, I don't know that we're ready for prime time on modern day debate. He's, but man, he's all for colorful. I mean, if you want someone who's going to entertain, he, he'll light up the uh, the city for you, James. So there you go, Jay Bundy. I, I gave a plug for you, brother. Samir says, 52 factorial is the number of possible arrangements of a deck of cards. Universe is not 52 S seconds old. It says, uh, oh, factorial seconds old. It says 2.5 billion factorial is the odds of arranging 2.5 billion random atoms into a single chromosome. I'll read that again because I suspect I'm not the only one that's confused. 52 factorial is the number of possible arrangements of a deck of cards. And so that, I think people understand that. You can arrange a deck of cards uh and many different factorial ways. numbers of yeah. ways it says universe is not 52 factorial seconds old 2.5 billion factorial is the odds of arranging 2.5 billion random atoms into a single chromosome atoms are in a chromosome yeah i think he's actually, talking about the improbability that's that's all i can yeah. say right that's that's what that's referring to um and and, and obviously it's directed to the evolution side so i'll take this the um the so that's just assuming that any particular first of all there's a lot more than just 2.5 billion atoms because uh we're you're gonna have to talk about we're talking about individual nucleotides which actually each one is made up of many different atoms so it's even more than that um the arrangement of chromosome of a given chromosome or you know the entire genome is not something that is something that has to be emerged just de novo um, uh, on its own, right? Like that's not how natural selection works. We have uh, random mutation that occurs, variability that occurs within a population. Uh, some of that variability is due to random mutation, deletion, insertions, um, even whole genome duplication, which is something that we know has occurred in vertebrate evolution. And then that means that you have duplicates of genes that are free to evolve and change and do new functions. And this is something that we can see traces of in the genome and how that leads to the, the you know, the emergence of embryology and how we get the brain to organize. Uh, you know, it's, you don't need to have a distinct, just random 
uh, um, assortment of genes, um, you know, just de novo. You got it. Thank you very much for this question. Coming in from... What? <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry, James. So, aren't you, like, itching to answer that? I can no, see- I was actually just wanting to respond about Jay Bundy. If I could just finish the story. Oh, come he on. Works for the, okay. He works for the Lensky Long-Term Experimental Lab. I work for the Evolution Informatics Lab. This is this is rival evolution labs going after it. So that's why, James, just wanted to explain what's going on. You got it. And thank you very much for this question. Coming in from Victor Halleck says, creationists, why did Japan ignore the flood entirely? I think they're saying, my guess is they're saying there's no stories of a geolog, or I should say a global flood, much less a massive, massive flood in Japanese old cultural. I don't think that's true. I think there is. They have so many tsunamis, they take that shit seriously. So they don't make up these fables. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. From James W. says, after show at Amy Newman's channel, open mic. Thanks for letting us know that. As well as, nominal says, Aaron, if you were born in a building and lived your whole life without any contact from the outside world, would you assume your building had no designer? Can buildings create themselves the way organisms do? This one coming in from Thunderstorm says, My problem with evolution is it's extremely political and has created a false narrative with out of Africa, the first Americans not being solutrean. Solutrean? I don't know. The first Americans? Let me just... uh, Native Americans, I guess. Okay, so evolution is not remotely political. Uh, out of Africa is not political. That's genetic. And what what are they, we talk about? The, the the first Americans are are determined both genetically and archaeologically. Gotcha. I think we've understood that as best as at least I could. This one coming in from Umbrella Corp says, "D O S U G is the answer to evolution." Does anybody know what this acronym D O S U G? No. This one coming in from do appreciate it nominal. This one, Pocket Locker 86 says, book it, Bundy and tag team partner, Flying Wayne versus Sal and Cindy. Okay, gotcha. And the stupid whore energy strikes again. She says, the computers and computer chips and lack thereof at some points due to shortage, those alone make it impossible to do nested hierarchies with cars. Sal, I think this is for you. You can still do that with, you can see, do it at the morphological level, clearly, because uh, I've had cars that had their computer chips broken. It still looks like a car. So you can actually, and that's the thing when you look, I know she's relating it to a presentation I gave where I related the, the, um, the morphological progression looks like a nice phylogeny, but all the little pieces are actually very different. And that's where the protein, you have these, you have the, the protein orchard. So even if you can build a nested hierarchy like you do with the um, all the organisms, you start to have these taxonomically res- restricted protein slash genes and, and orphan genes. And so you could still have it at the morphological level and you can still Except build really hierarchies. I, I, explore this, I explore this in a video called Falsifying Phylogeny, wherein I show like the Volkswagen Beetle, for example, had an aluminum popper engine four cylinder in the in the rear configuration 
And then later, Volkswagen Beetle suddenly had a, uh, a metal, al- a different al- alloy in the front engine, and it was water-cooled instead of air-cooled, and so the, tr- the automatic transmission, it just everything had changed. Whereas in phylogenies, you have derived synapomorphies that they have to adhere to. You can't just arbitrarily change everything like a creator can. And if there was a creator, then we wouldn't have derived synapomorphies evident everywhere. You would have insects that had mammal eyes or mollusk eyes or mollusks that had human eyes or humans or 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 mammals that had insect eyes because a creator can mix and match parts as he wants to but evolution can't and that's why we don't see any of those type of exceptions that's also what i've always thought about evolution if if we had gradually gone from one thing to another in a random fashion without an intelligent design we would expect to see eyes on various parts of your body. Why would you expect one and thing? And a number of another? arms. Why would you expect one thing to? But there's a lot we 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 need to talk, Cindy. Really, please. I am I'm imploring you to please Where contact you, me outside. What of, state are you in? I'm in Texas. But I mean, we we do everything online, right? I mean, so right. so so contact me, uh, James. Put her in touch with me via email. <laughs> I, I want to have. I'd rather a do it in person, but I guess it would be a long. Yeah. What? I'd rather do it in person, but I'd have to come to Texas for a long time. <laughs> I'll put you in. Touch we we can do it quickly, can... painlessly over email, or you know, painlessly. I that I doubt. <laughs> <laughs> this one from Samir says: Simple animals evolved 600 million years ago. There are 8.7 million species on earth even if we ignore extant ones that's still one new species every 68 years name newly evolved animals or explain evolution's nap evolution's nap the pattern in reality is extinction not development of new kinds there's isn't it you understand like, that even hoven five percent are extinct you understand that even Hovind argued that that speciation is observed, right? Well, she's saying, or that person is saying something about the development of new species, and I'm saying the pattern is extinction. There's no five no. percent of this. The, the pattern is proliferation, and then you have an extinction level event that wipes out large groups of them, and then you have you have surviving buds, and they continue to branch on for further proliferation taxonomy is so much more in-depth than you could possibly imagine. I can show you cladograms that are so detailed to make your head spin. This one coming in from, do you appreciate your question? Big Bad Mama says, Sal and Cindy, do you literally believe that trees were created before the sun was created like the Bible maintains? Why not? It's only a 24-hour day. Sleep, wake up, there's the sun. I personally believe it. And also one reason it was, I believe the reason it was done is to force one particular interpretation of the Bible being the six-day literal creation in less than 10,000 years. So yes, faith belief, not a scientific one. Thank you. Hi, Big Bad Mama. Thank you. For Hi, Big Bad Mama. Thank you for, thank you for caring for Cindy. Yeah. Nominal says. Don't worry, we've got more from Big Bad Mama. But this one from Nominal says, Aaron, is man bear pig... Let's see, in the room with us right now. I don't get it. Some sort of South South Park joke? 
<laughs> I don't know. I, I don't watch popular media much anymore. I don't know I'm what's guessing cool so. anymore. Okay, this is what Aiden Linden says. Question for Sal. If you admit parts of your position are faith-based when you lack evidence, how can you claim to be the one with more evidence? Uh, I don't. Oh, by the way, Aiden, and I just want to thank everyone who's had the outpouring of love for Cindy, even on this panel. Just want to, yeah. Aiden's one of the special people. Um, I don't claim that I have more evidence. I claim that I find evolution less believable than creation. And I gave, I gave the examples, particularly at the molecular and cellular level. So and nice to see you, Aiden. It's growing in, over time, just like with me. I was first saved in 1984 and I was in college in a secular university. When I first started hearing them talk about evolution, I went, that doesn't make any sense. And my belief in the strength of creationism and the weakness of evolution has only grown over the past 40 years of being a Christian. And that makes me think that I must have known, honestly, no exaggeration, I must have known more about evolution when I was in second grade than you did then or now. This one coming in from Option Select says, how foxes got tame with selective breeding if behavior is not rooted in DNA? Mm, that's for me, I guess. So behavior is rooted in DNA because behavior is a manifestation of the activity within neural networks. Neural networks have to emerge from the, you know, the, the expression of genes during development and how that they work in the brains as they work. So we actually have a pretty reasonable explanation for how this change in behavior came about. Uh, we think that what's being selected against is against the um, aggressive uh, stress response that the foxes were having. So that's the adrenal gland that's involved with that. The adrenal gland arises from the same part of the embryo as the rest of the brain does, which is the neural crest. And if you're selecting against something that arises from the same part of the embryo, you're going to see similar changes that come about. This is known as the domestication syndrome. I actually have a video on my uh, YouTube channel explaining this phenomenon. It's a really super interesting topic. I encourage you to check it out. You got it. Thank you very much. This one coming in from Thuros Rex says, thanks for inspiring me to become a teacher, Aaron. That's nice. Big Bang Flying Wayne says, if Jay's lab is D1, Sal's lab is D11 levels. Pocket Locker says, Jay Bundy here. I okay, Enough of Jay Bundy. He says, I worked in the Lensky lab. Sal keeps citing. He's wrong. He knows he's wrong. If he keeps going to debate me, he needs to do his homework. Oh, juicy. All right. Well, that's a lively one. This one coming in. Can, from... I, can I say something um, responding to Chris? If it's short and pithy, we've got a couple more questions and we got to get you guys out of here to get a decent night of sleep. Well, it's fairly juicy. Okay, so Chris is maintaining that behavior is genetic. I'm maintaining that behavior is a manifestation of the activity of neural networks. Of course, it depends upon genes. There, the, the field of behavioral genetics is a, a, is a very uh, growing, vibrant field. Has absolutely nothing. I mean, of course, it has a lot to do with evolution, but we can consider that even separate from questions of evolution. Yes. Well, to me, that points to the obvious conclusion that judgment is ridiculous. Can't judge okay. Everybody's behaving in from their genes. There's got to be choice and responsibility. You understand that dogs are bred for behaviors. 
right? I mean, so they identify that certain dogs have a propensity to particular behaviors, so they breed for those behaviors. If they're not, if, if it's not genetic, then it's not possible to breed for those behaviors. Yeah. And, and I, want, I want to address something that I said before because I know it came out wrong. So a bunch of comments about it. When I was in second grade, I was reading books on evolution and I was explaining evolution to my parents. And Cindy said she didn't start learning about evolution until she was in college. Um, That's what I meant. No. Well, I didn't mean to say that. I mean, I was raised in a secular school, so I. And that doesn't I know how bad America's secular schools are. They yeah. don't teach evolution in public school either. Yeah. They certainly don't do it properly. No, Absolutely. You got it. This one coming in from Do Appreciate Your Question. Only just a couple more. Sarah B says, Cindy slash Sal, faith, right? Does it ever bother you that faith means confidence and belief? Belief is emotionally based. Are you scared to be proven wrong? No. Of course we're scared. At least I am. I can't speak for Cindy. But as far as faith goes, what began it for me was when I was in math class and they said these are the axioms of mathematics real number system. They're like the articles of faith. I almost fell out of my seat. So there are certain assumptions that are unprovable that we may be true. And at some, I think there's some the variety of thoughts and theorems where fundamentally the most important things, the most foundational can only be accepted by faith. You cannot ultimately prove it. You just find one set of statements, bodies of belief, more believable than others. And I, so thank you for the question. You, right? I would have to say that it involves both. Okay, there are some things that you accept by faith. There are other things that are based on historical facts. Jesus is the historical fact. No, it isn't. Defies my faith. No, he isn't. My faith. Okay, but a fact and faith are not the same thing. A fact is objectively verifiable data. Jesus. Are you is saying not a he fact. didn't exist, or that he? I'm didn't saying it's not objectively verifiable data. You can I have opinions on it, and, and per, you can say, "Well, I'm I'm sixty percent sure there was a Jesus, but maybe it wasn't exactly like what they defined." In any case, Jesus is not a fact. In your opinion, this one coming in from <laughs> Joe Schwartz says, "I am the soyest of the boys." I feel the same way, Aaron. I feel the same way. Aaron, and a fact Aaron. is objectively verifiable data. Jesus is not objectively verifiable data. Therefore, Jesus is not a fact. I disagree. Not an opinion. That's a fact. Jesus is not a fact, is a fact. I disagree. There's a whole lot of... Okay, you're welcome to be wrong. You got it. This one from Amy Newman says, after show, after the debate, great job, Aaron and Dr. T. Hope you're doing well, Cindy and Sal. May I ask, what would it take for you to be convinced of evolution, Cindy and Sal? Show that it's statistically feasible for the things I pointed out for chromatin evolution in eukaryotes, for the membrane-bound organelles, for the insertion of eukaryotic nuclear localization signals across multiple proteins simultaneously so the creature doesn't die, also to solve problems with abiogenesis, et cetera, et cetera, and to also refute things like genetic, apparently genetic entropy. And do that, uh, I'd be impressed. Thank you. Okay. Nice to see you, Amy. Uh, and thank you for your outpouring of love to Cindy. Cindy, thanks for being Cindy's friend. Appreciate you. You Hi, got. Amy. Go ahead. Um. I just want to point out. I see somebody in the chat named Angel Moo. 
I was accused of being Angel Moo. There was somebody called, accused me for years of being that person. I can't be here and there at the same time. <laughs> Something else, somebody that, that I saw in the comment a lot. If I, if you don't mind me just jumping in to say this, because I, I saw it scroll up a number of times. Atheists do not believe we came from nothing. That's creationists who believe that. We don't. I don't know an atheist alive who believes there was ever nothing to start with. So just just another uh, what minor. About Richard point. Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss. Right. Lawrence Krauss does not believe everything came from nothing. He redefined nothing in his in his deceptively titled book. The first time I had a chance to talk with Lawrence, I can I I I complained about the fact that he titled his book that way, and just to get him back. We were on a we were on a charity fundraiser telethon at the time when I first talked to him. I said, just to get him back, we did come from monkeys, and I can prove it. This one coming in we from we came from absolute nothing. We believe that uh, God can make something out of nothing, and that's why resurrection happened because He can take a dead body and make it living. Well, the only demonstration of that is that you guys made up God out of nothing. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question, Deej. says, Aris, are you saying that Jesus wasn't real? I'm not entirely sure about that. I think that there was some core uh, inspirations for the Jesus character. I don't think there was just one. I don't think you could, if you had a time machine and a guide who spoke Aramaic, I don't think you could find the Jesus you're looking for. If you found a Jesus, it wouldn't be the Jesus you wanted. You got it. This one coming in from. I think that's it. Samir, thanks for your final question we got. It says, why did birds that lived away from humans for thousands of years develop the ability to speak the time that those who lived with us didn't? This is God's way. What? Speak the time? I don't know. Does anybody know what that means? Is he saying that birds evolved the ability to speak even though they weren't living near humans for their model. Oh, okay. So uh, okay. Then, right. Okay. Durant, so well, yeah. if I could read it one more time, just in case anybody mm -hmm. else didn't get it, I think I get what you mean, but they say, why did birds, and then Dr. T will kick it right over to you. They said, why did birds that lived away from humans for thousands of years, develop the ability to speak during the time that those who lived with us didn't. Mm -hmm. So okay. I'd be real simple about it. Certain species are not going to just spontaneously learn how to speak because they have to live with uh, humans. Um, they, uh, you know, they, there's just, it has to be something that's naturally selected for. It has to serve a purpose. We know that birds have learned how to sing or vocalize because it offers and confers a, a selective advantage um, it's typically something across many of these species that we see that just males that sing and they're advertising to females and they're using it in a very reproductive context. So that's my answer to that. You got it. And thank you very much. High Flyer says, I'm not sure if there's a God of the universe, but I do know there's a God of modern day debate and his name is Aaron. Get a fan out there, Aaron. <laughs> this, <year. laughs> this one from KD5681 says, keep up the great work, Aaron. I learned a lot from you. Yeah, got to give some love to Chris because he, he did a really extraordinary job here. He did. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. Same on the other side, too. I really appreciate the, the conversation that we've had so far. Thank you. Chris. This has yeah. been fantastic. I've got to say, I appreciate that you guys have had the, the, the perfect mix of 
being cordial and also being passionate that makes it fun as like it's fun it's just nice when it walks that line it's just just right kind of goldilocks of where it's passionate and yet it's not going off the rails it's it's reasonable still so i appreciate it this has been a fantastic debate I want to say thanks to everybody watching our guests are linked in the description so there are 712 people watching right now and i'm sure this is going to get tens of tens of thousands of views folks i gotta tell you our guests are linked in the description. So if you'd like to learn more about their positions, you certainly can by clicking down below. I highly encourage you, you can check out those links right now, including if you're listening via the podcast, all of the modern day debate debates end up on the podcast. If you didn't know that, folks, it's ad free. We don't make a dime off of it. So I highly encourage you to check it out on your favorite podcast app. But our guests are linked there as well. So you can find Aaron's, Dr. Thompson's, and Cindy's and Sal's links in the description box of the podcast, too. So check those links out. Want to say one last thank you to our guests. It's been a true pleasure to have you. Thank you very much. You know. Thank you so much, James. Yeah, this Thank has you. been fun. My pleasure. And hold on, sorry. See you at the after this show. Is, this is what we got. Just two last ones. This is Samir Farsane says, Sal, you're smart, but you oh don't talk gosh, enough. Oh my gosh, that's a huge dog. Is that a bear? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt you, James. That is a big What one. the heck is that? It's a, it's a great Pyrenees. Really? Uh, he was a rescue. What? He walked into my house like he lived here because he, his owners threw him away. Oh, Arn, you scored. <laughs> I love you him. Scored. <laughs> this one from Sorry, one, two last ones. They snuck them in. It was a compliment from Samir. So, Sal, you're smart. You, you don't talk enough. They want to hear you talk more. Cy, Cy, Syrupy says, I stand, Dr. Thompson, to your point. I hear starlings in the parking lot of mm -hmm. my work mimic car alarms. Yeah, they do. They're amazing mimics. So you can even get starlings to vocalize and even make uh, some human noises too. So they're awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Well, Whales sing too. With that, Cindy and I have an after show on my channel. Just FYI. You, you want to do Amy's and or yours? I'm streaming as well. Yeah. If people want to come into my channel, oh no! I know. I don't Are mean you? to steal everyone, but. And folks, uh, happy to answer some more questions and talk a little bit with people too. So remember, sadly, folks, I have deadlines I have to meet. I've got projects I've got to jump into editing, and I was up all night last night. I'm probably going to be up all night tomorrow. Get some sleep. <laughs> you got it. We'll let you, go. you Thanks. Thanks so yeah. much. I'll be back Thanks in just a moment, folks, with a post-credit scene for about a few minutes. Stick around. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.